It's time right now for the David Feldman Show. He's talking politics and comedy too. Now tell a dirty joke if you want him to. It's He's just right a lefty of the day from way back. He's talking to union man and comedy too. Right. Someday he's mad and he feels like fighting. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show to get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Thank you so much, Professor Mike Steinow. It's hard to get in any word with this clown. He called the military stupid bastards. You're the worst president America has ever had. Good evening and welcome to the post-debate mop-up, episode 1178 of The David Feldman Show. Today's headline, Joe Biden showed up. Trump energizes base, but will make those who are on the fence stay home. Trump promised the election will not end well. Trump refused to urge his supporters to remain calm during the election. And he's already called the election tonight fraudulent and rigged. Biden, meanwhile, refused to say he would support packing the Supreme Court, getting rid of the filibuster or the Green New Deal. But he stood up to Trump, stayed focused and looked like a leader. Is it enough to win the vote? Is it enough to prevent Trump from stealing the vote? That will be one of the questions I pose to all my guests this evening on the post-debate mop-up. Now, normally our show drops at 3 a.m. on Tuesday, but we've decided to drop it at 3 a.m. on Wednesday in order to bring you up-to-the-minute coverage of what many consider to be the 35th most important presidential debate in American history. Tonight's debate was moderated by Chris Wallace from Fox News. So going into it, Trump had the home for the criminally insane court advantage. On foreign policy, Trump could pass himself off as a dove, able to boast that in nearly four years, he has failed to get this country into a major war unless you count the one against America. Well, we have a lot of guests tonight, and we're going to get to all of them. 
But first, I want to turn to Cleveland, Ohio, where citizen David Bacon is standing by. He is on the streets outside Case Western Reserve's Sheila and Eric Sampson Pavilion, where tonight's debate took place. Hello, Citizen Bacon. Hello, David Feldman. Nice to hear your voice. Describe for me the protests outside the debate venue. Who is showing up to who's showing up to protest and why? Is anybody covering the protests? Are they being heard? Who's there? Oh, yeah, there is more press than probably protesters. Um, there was an organized march protest um, on the uh, uh, Case Western University campus near the, uh, uh, near the art museum area. It was a big uh, meetup around 5 o'clock. Uh, and um, this could turn out, you know, 700 maybe people or so were there. Um, and it was, it was very peaceful. Um, are you seeing? Uh, you know, are, you, are you seeing any Black Lives Matters people? Are you seeing any Proud Boys? Yeah, there was a lot. I have not seen any Proud Boys. Yes, there's Black Lives Matter people. People were here from the Sunrise Movement. I think Donald, uh, one of the people, is leaving right now because there's a gigantic motor per- motor thing going out. The police have blocked the road. There's so many police here. It's such a police state. There really was no big protests at all. I don't, I can't even imagine there was many arrests. I saw one person maybe get arrested for selling t-shirts and the, maybe like 10 cops came and grabbed him from the, from the protest thing and took him away. Um, but that was the only real arrest. Um, they, they, they so, so they closed off the area that you can't get too close. Um, oh, there's, there's, there's probably uh, Trump is leaving right now, um, but we should take a close. The, the guard is right there. There's there, there's 300 National Guard units that were called in. They doubled the area of the of the of the area that you were, like can't get into, and, and and the area where they banned certain things like backpacks above a certain size, the size of the the sign things. But really, people didn't have the wooden. You know, they banned how long the wood board could be. You can't have you can't have bodily fluids in containers. So I don't know who would have that. But they have a huge list of things that you cannot have. But there were no one. No one was here. You know, there was no no real big 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 uh, big thing. You know, the only protest that I saw was was very peaceful. There was a little bit of commotion near one of the uh, gates, like an hour after that protest had end, ended. But there's so many police that when anyone was if anyone caused any real commotion, there'd be like 50 cops around them. And then the the police, someone would come in and say, okay, stand down. And the police would all leave. Kind of the protest people would kind of be disappointed. Right. And then um, that okay. would be that. Very good. Ohio used to be an important state for the Democrats to win. A lot of people think Trump is going to win it, but Biden can still win the Electoral College. What's your sense traveling around Ohio? There was... Uh, there was uh, maybe two Trump's people I saw. I saw more like anti-abortion people, you know, than uh, you know who had a specific uh, uh, agenda, you know, thing. But not really pro-Trump people. Um, there was a uh, 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 anti-Turkey uh, Armenian group of maybe thirty people who came down with flags for a while. They had a little thing. There was one guy. Uh, who wanted to talk about Hong Kong, who seemed to be maybe from that area. But, you know, no one was talking to him too much. Um, but there's reporters all over the place and just police, 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 police on horses, police on 
bikes. I've never seen more police on bikes. But they were very cordial with and and you know would would come approach and then and then step back. So uh, everyone seemed to be on their on their best behavior. To Fantastic. Be honest. You couldn't get anywhere near it. Thank you. You couldn't so get anywhere much. near the, the thing. Citizen Bacon reporting live from Cleveland at the scene of the debate. Thank you. We'll talk to you next week, I hope. Thank you, Citizen Bacon. Sure thing. Have a good night. You too. Now let's go to Washington, D.C., where the Reverend Barry W. Lynn is standing by. For nearly a quarter of a century, he was the executive director of Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Besides being an attorney and a member of the Supreme Court Bar, He is also an ordained minister in the United Church of, I hope I'm pronouncing this properly, Christ. Did I get that right? You have to unmute yourself. You have to unmute yourself. There you go. You have to unmute yourself, sir. Well, while you're unmuting yourself. All right. There you go. There I am. Okay, let's talk about the Supreme Court and Joe Biden refusing to say whether or not he would pack the Supreme Court if elected president, something you've spoken out in favor of. Yeah, I think this was the most dangerous area for Joe Biden because there is no good way that in this short period of time he could explain what he would do. There are some things he could have said and should have said, like uh, when he was accused of uh, allowing so many vacancies in the federal appeals courts. Of course, most of that was because Mitch McConnell blocked consideration of those nominees. In fact, even going so far as to block his nominee, Obama's nominee on the Seventh Circuit, an African-American woman that opened up, surprise, surprise, Amy Bryant to sit on that court. The other thing that he didn't say when asked whether you would pack the court, of course, I don't even use that word. I think expanding the court, that's a, f- a friendlier phrase. He could have pointed out that not only was one Obama uh, a person, Merrick Garland, sold for eight and a half months, but that also this current nomination is moving so quickly. So when someone talks about packing the court, there's evidence already that this Supreme Court, assuming that Amy Barrett will be confirmed, and she will, given the lackluster work being done by Senate Democrats, it's already packed. And he should have said, and we're going to look at all of our options in that event. I didn't expect him to say, you know, I've been listening to the David Feldman show and there are people like Barry Lynn who say, well, he should expand the court. Let's add four more seats. Of course, he's not going to say that. Do you, think, did, do you think the soundbite that's going to bite Biden in the ass, even though I think he won the debate? I but, do, too. But I think the soundbite that's probably going to bite him in the ass is his refusal to say whether or not he'd pack the court, get no. rid of the filibuster and his failure to promote the Green New Deal? No, I don't think so. I think what will happen is that the right-wing media will discuss how he referred to the president as a clown on his, by my count, at least three occasions, how he referred to him on one occasion as Putin's puppy. 
All of those are legitimate things. And when you look at the frustration level, this is an extraordinarily frustrating way to have a debate. There's no excuse after the 2006 debate debacles that there isn't a kill switch on those microphones. There is no excuse in the world for not having that and having people agree. I think Wallace did a very good job, although he tended to say gentlemen instead of constantly saying Mr. President, let's be quiet, keep quiet. But I think the average viewer who's not already decided looked at this debate, saw Joe Biden looking at the camera Right. Instead of look, looking to the side as if he was repulsed by the idea that he could actually talk to somebody, look him in the eye. Right. I think that those Biden probably prepared statements, but they were very, very effective. I don't think the fact that he was explaining his version of environmental change. It's not the traditional Green New Deal. It's his plan. And then he was specific, but without being too specific. One of the other things I worried about is that Joe Biden would just get lost in the weeds of his own argument. And I think he did not do that. And people don't want to hear that. And he responded to Trump. He had this voice in his ear and he responded to Trump appropriately. (laughs) He didn't get thrown by Trump. I couldn't do that. You're a lawyer. You argue on all these radio shows and television shows. Could you have held up against Trump? I mean, Trump is like fighting with the worst girlfriend or boyfriend you've ever been in love with. Of the hundreds and hundreds of television debates I did over the years, there was only one time when I got so angry that when I looked at the tape, I I rarely even watched those appearances, but I looked at it and I said, Barry, you just blew it. You got so angry. But it was because the host and the other guests were literally never stopping talking. Collegiate debate over the last 20 years or so has changed dramatically. The purpose is not to make an argument. The purpose is to put as many comments into your speech as possible, and then you lose points if you don't respond to every single statement that your opponent has made. And that's what was going on tonight. Trump is talking about everything from the kitchen sink, Hunter Biden, Bo Biden, you can't pick up on that. This is not collegiate debate style. This is answer what you need to answer. I thought he was very effective when he talked about Biden, when he said, because, of course, uh, Trump constantly talking about Hunter Biden. His response to that is that's a lie. And virtually all of it was a lie. There's some nuances I don't know enough about to know for sure. But just say it, it's a lie. And calling Trump a liar is, of course, factually correct. But that also will be used as a soundbite against him when he says he can't tell the truth. He's a liar because some people, although, again, I don't think the people in the middle, the undecided 10 to 12 percent of the electorate really is going to be offended by that. I think they're going to say, of course, he is. At least Biden said he was. That's a good thing. Right. He missed an opportunity when Trump kept saying, do you believe in law and order? Do you believe in law and order? That was a ripe opportunity for him to say, funny coming 
from a man who's committed countless crimes in the Oval Office. Now, stay with us, the Reverend Barry W. Lynn. Let's go to Washington, D.C., where Zach Ford is standing by. He's the former White House correspondent for Think Progress, and he's now a press secretary for Alliance for Justice. They're a progressive judicial advocacy group in the United States, and they monitor federal judiciary appointments. Welcome, Zach Ford. It's great to see you, sir. Glad to be here. You know, when uh, you asked me to be on here, I said, oh, I, then I won't drink. I'll be I'll be team. And then I started watching that thing. And before I came on, I had to pour another finger. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So let's talk about the debate. And you, you cover the let's not be too generous. Okay. The uh, mud fight, the food fight. Reverend Lynn was just sort of referring to like collegiate debate and like this is was anywhere in the realm of (laughs) collegiate debate. I mean, one of the, the, the expressions that like I sort of pride myself on knowing is the Gish Gallup. The Gish Gallup uh, is a, a debating technique where you just throw out as many lies in a row as possible. And then your opponent is stuck because they want to try to like correct all of them. And then they can never make a point for themselves. And to even give Trump credit for using that technique would be to raise the profile of what we just watched to (laughs) high a level. I have to be honest with you. I, uh, you know, as you know, I'm voting for Biden. I I'm so proud of you for that. Yes. Thank you. I do not like the man But I do remember feeling the same about him tonight that I felt when he debated Sarah Palin in 2008 and watching him debate Paul Ryan in 2012. I felt he he was there. He was present. He was likable. I think he's not my first or fifth choice, but he certainly showed up tonight. Judge Amy Coney Barrett. Yes. So has she expressed an opinion on the uh, constitutionality of Obamacare? Has she expressed an opinion on Roe v. Wade? Did Biden mislead the American people? Do we know where Judge Amy Coney Barrett stands on Affordable Care Act (laughs) and Roe v. Wade? something true and of course the answer is no of course amy coney barrett has explicitly said that she thinks that the affordable care act is unconstitutional and that the roberts court erred in upholding it in 2012 she's openly spoken out against uh roe v wade and and sort of inquired why the state doesn't care about the life of a fetus and openly opposed contraceptive care for women you know to pretend anything else about this person besides the fact that president trump has explicitly said he said uh on twitter 10 days after launching his campaign i will appoint judges who will do the right thing on obamacare unlike the roberts court he specifically said that one of his litmus tests is overturning the affordable care act taking health care away from 20 million people depriving over 135 million with pre-existing conditions from protections and he's also explicitly said that he will only appoint judges who will overturn roe v wade now think about what happened when he was asked those questions tonight he's like you know there's no guarantee that will happen well no but that's exactly what he wants to happen and and so if it comes to it we know exactly how amy coney barrett's going to vote we know exactly how brett kavanaugh is going to vote we know exactly 
exactly how Neil Gorsuch is going to vote because he was explicit about this. So it doesn't matter what Amy Coney Barrett said, even though we know what she said. We know what this candidate was going to this nominee was going to be about as soon as we knew Trump was nominating somebody. Professor, professor, the reverend and professor, you're a teacher, but I'll call you the Reverend Barry W. Lynn. You have a degree in being a minister and you're a lawyer. The American people don't want to overturn Roe v. Wade. It's unpopular to be pro-life despite all the efforts. The American people don't want to get rid of Obamacare. So when these hearings are held, if they're supposedly they're going to be holding hearings on the Senate Judiciary Committee before the election, could this end up hurting Lindsey Graham? He's running for re-election. He's short on cash. Could it end up hurting Donald Trump? I think it could, and in a couple of states, and I think South Carolina is one of them. Uh, you know, uh, Amy Barrett has been very specific on this Rover versus Wade question. Of course, uh, Zach is right to say he said he'd only appoint pro-life judges. But she's very specific. She doesn't believe in the doctrine called stare decisis. I really don't speak Latin, but, you know, I went to law school, so I know what it means. It's the idea is that certain things are there's they stand for good reason because they've been around for a long time. Amy Barrett has actually written that she thinks that Roe versus Wade could be subject to reconsideration because it's so controversial. So the standard is if something is controversial, stare decisis doesn't necessarily hold. And similarly, you know, on the Affordable Care Act, as as Zach mentioned, she's written about it. We know what she's going to do about it. She doesn't like the way it was decided last time. She doesn't like John Robert's use of this as a tax as a reason to uphold it. That doesn't exist anymore. That was based on the fact that there's an individual mandate that effectively was a tax, something you had to pay. Now you don't have to pay. And so she can she doesn't even have to worry about precedent. She can simply say, well, they changed it. I looked at it. I am a little surprised that Joe Biden didn't say I don't think he said, oh, I will admit, since I gave up drinking, it's, you know, it's possible I missed something. But I don't remember him saying now, at a minimum, if she is, con- if she is confirmed, would she recuse herself from any questions about this election? That's a question that the Democrats who some of them won't even show up for the hearings. But if they do show up, they better ask that question. Would we believe anything Amy Barrett said? Of course not, because we we have come to find that so many confirmation hearings ask questions. People say something and then they're lying about it. And unfortunately, Democrats don't say, you know, I don't think I believe you. That's unheard of. Right. Zach Ford from the Alliance for Justice. I want to ask you about whether or not Trump did himself well tonight with his base, because his base consists of two separate baskets of deplorables. Right. He's got the ones, you know, our friends who want to own liberals. They're racist, homophobic. 
They're misogynists. They don't believe in science or social safety net. That's one basket of deplorables. But there's also another basket of his base, and that is the right wing Christian evangelicals, the the men and women from the Heritage Foundation and the Federalist Society who are pro-life. They believe in dismantling the administrative state. They want to roll back regulations and give more power back to the states. They believe in reading the Constitution the same way they read the Bible with their lips moving. And, And these people, they will forgive Donald Trump all his trespasses if he delivers a conservative court for them. Did he keep that base tonight? I mean, who has supported Trump up to this point through kids in cages, through Muslim bans, through trans military bans, through whatever other atrocities come to top of mind for you and says, oh, well, I didn't like how he performed in this debate. I mean, this is a cult of personality. And as you said, both of those people in that group either see themselves in Trump or see themselves getting what they want from Trump. So, yeah. I'm sure they were fine with everything. I'm sure they don't really care if they even bothered to watch at all. Uh, I think, as Reverend Lynn was saying right before I I, I joined the conversation, what's a lot more important is that very strange group of people that are still undecided or somehow persuadable. And I think Biden did a really good job of, well, he did a decent enough job of calling out Trump's lies, pushing back on Trump's dog whistles, identifying them for what they are, uh, and, and, you know, at least doing a little bit to sort of stem the tide of lies that was coming out of Trump's mouth. So if those people looked at it and say, I was kind of hoping to see if I could get like a shred of dignity and integrity from this person who wants another four years out of me. I don't think they found it. And if they wanted to see somebody who could like actually put words together in a sentence, uh, at least without being interrupted, you know, there was something to cling on to with what Biden was offering. The Reverend Barry W. Lynn, you for nearly a quarter of a century were over at Americans United for separation of church and state. You debated all the crazy Christians Tonight, we saw that they will stay with him, right? There's no question that he's got them. They're not going anywhere, right? That's right. I mean, even the revelations about his taxes are not going to bother these folks. You know, the right wing Christians in this country have an amazing ability, no matter what you say. If you say, but what doesn't didn't Jesus care about the poor? They will find citations like well, Jesus said, the poor we shall always have with us. And then if you say, but don't we have some kind of obligation to take care of the poor? They say, well, we do as Christians, but that doesn't mean a government has any obligation. You can never beat right-wing Christians. I believe you've read the scriptures. Is that correct, Reverend? Yes, I Didn't have. Jesus say, render unto Caesar, Caesar. if you're stupid? <laughs> I think that's what he yeah, said. Yeah, that was uh, the paraphrase, actually. Yeah. It's the new version of the Bible uh, when we don't even uh, refer to uh, Jesus Christ anymore, then you'll have to learn a new word. But those, um, of course not. 
I mean, but they, but my point is, and this will come up constantly in the Amy Barrett confirmation hearings. People will say, well, uh, you know, you're, you must be anti-religious. If you even ask a question, I remember we used to ask uh, Democratic senators in confirmation hearings, just ask this question. Can you separate your religious beliefs from your duties as a judge? And they would all say, of course I can. And then I would go on Bill O'Reilly's show and he'd say, so Barry, I mean, that's uh, anti-Christian bigotry, isn't it? That's anti-religious. No, they just ask a question. And they got plenty of questions to ask Amy Barrett and sometime I'll talk to you about what I wish they'd ask her, maybe Thursday. Let's go up to Deerfield, Massachusetts, where comedy writer (laughs) and gentleman farmer, the great John Ross is standing by. I just talked about one basket of deplorables, the the right-wing Christians from the Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation. You know something about the other basket of deplorables, the racists, the misogynists, the stupid morons who don't believe in science. You're, you're an expert on that basket of deplorables. I believe you're one of them, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> is, that, is that right? How do you think it played to we've spent enough time in the comedy clubs traveling around the country playing to morons? How do you think Trump played to the knuckle dragging mouth breathing cretins who put food on our table as stand-up comics. Well, it's interesting you say that. And first of all, I want to, um, you know, I'm with Zach. I wanted to stay sober for this, but boy, (laughs) that was not in the cards. That was so profoundly demoralizing and dispiriting. It just... It's so sad how far we've fallen that these are the people who we're asking to lead us They're they're Well, it's I not mean, Biden's I, fault. It's not Biden's fault. You know, you know what, Biden, I, I really think he would have been best served early on by walking off and no. saying, you know what, if you want to debate, I'll debate. This is childish because it was childish. It was it was juvenile. It was it, he really I think, you know, it, it would have been a gamble. But I think he needed to walk off. And I think if if Biden did well, it was only because people would have been so turned off by how incredibly rude and and juvenile that Trump was being. I I think you have to look, we're getting we're talking about these undecided voters. It seems impossible to me to get into the brain of these people who could possibly be undecided right now. So I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know that they're listening to words or listening to arguments. They're getting some kind of gestalt thing. You know what I mean? So I think they're kind of standing back and seeing like vague shapes. And and, and maybe they sort of felt like, hey, that guy's being mean a lot and an asshole and even the moderator guy is telling him to shut up and so maybe that's our only hope is that that people kind of got that sort of gestalt feeling because biden wasn't making much sense i mean you, you can parse oh he made good arguments here and there look you know what you and i 
both know comedians, right? Who were terrible, but they were facile. You know what I mean? They got on stage, they weren't afraid, they weren't nervous, they, they had confidence and, and they could speak and they were facile and they did well. They weren't saying anything. They weren't good, but they did well right. because, and that's what Trump is. And Trump's facile and he can talk. And people just kind of respond to that and go, oh yeah, he's just throwing off these things. And Biden, that's why maybe we needed to fight Trump with like there anybody on talk radio from the left or left ish could have done better than Biden. It, it would have seemed so easy. There was so much ammunition, so much material. Like I would have just gone up there and gone, why are, you know, your lawyer, your personal lawyer is in jail. Your campaign lawyer is in jail. Your uh, national security advisor is in jail. This guy's indicted. This guy quit. This guy, like, just list, like, forget the cause. I would have ignored the questions that Chris Wallace was asking and just start going down. There was so much to say. It, it, Trump didn't come off looking that bad. Biden could have killed him, but he, he could didn't. have. I don't think he had it. I don't think he has it in him, Biden. He doesn't have anything in him. He's terrible. Right. He, he looked a thousand years old. He looked older than Trump. Cadaverous, yes. And, and the, yeah, he looked cadaverous. And it, it almost looks worse with the surgery. And he's pulled kind of tight. And then he does that. <laughs> I'm laughing because you're so stupid. But I can't think of anything really to say. So I'll just laugh. It was it was weak. But he being was, pr- I, I kind Trump of... Trump was an asshole. And the whole thing just... Made me sad. Well, I'm going to push back on this for a second. Please. Because I thought Biden did a great job considering what he was up against. I thought. Wow. Your bar bar is awful low. Yeah. yeah, Well, that was the mistake Trump made is he lowered expectations for Biden. It's an expectations game going into a debate. And Trump was like Muhammad Ali. He was calling the round that he was going to knock Biden out. That's a that is a tactical mistake. You're supposed to say, you know, I don't debate that much. I'm the president of the United States. I'm not used to being challenged. Normally incumbents do very poorly during their first debate because they're not used to anybody standing up to to them. You know, he spent 45 years in the Senate. I hope I can hold my own against Joe Biden. He didn't say any of that. So Joe Biden strung a series of sentences together and he kept his fault. Barely. False to- barely. He, he has a stutter, though. He has I a stutter. In here too. Go like, ahead, Jack. Biden's instincts, I think, were to go where John wanted him to go and sort of just be as ignorant of the rules that they'd agreed to as possible to just sort of meet Trump where he was. And there were a number of moments like that. And I actually just saw the Biden campaign already selling T-shirts that say, will you shut up, man, which was one of his early lines uh, in the thing. But I, I also think that Biden needs to show and remind people what presidential used to mean and to what it means to have calm in the face of a tantrum uh, and, and and not to sink to that, that level. And there's arguments to be made that like he, he should have done one or the other and it's a failure that he kind of tried to do both. But I think really, like, I thought he did. I thought he went right. right down the middle. He gave a little, that's what I'm, that's what yeah, I'm saying. I but that's what a centrist you. does, right? Well, I mean, 
how you manage manage your politics are different things. So let's not conflate them. But like, I I actually think that he did a good job of like pushing back on Trump a little bit. I did wish he went a little further, but like also maintaining some level of decorum, which is something that I I think we all would have loved a little bit more of. Right. John, are you, I, I, can I, if I think if you're watching at home and you're like, and somebody's being impressive, you're sitting back going, oh man, wow, I wish I had thought I said that. You know what I mean? Like you're impressed, but instead I'm sitting at home going, why not say this? Why not say this? Come on, man, say this. Like you're, you're, you're saying it for him. He's not, he wasn't doing anything as opposed to somebody who is impressing you. I wanted to be impressed. I wanted him, he had a lot of prep, right? Like, why wasn't he sharp? Why wasn't he, he just? I, I think he was. He was just, oh, come on, man. That, that, but that's who yeah. Joe is. I mean, you have to be authentic. And authentic means being who you are. He can't suddenly come out and be Bernie. He's not Bernie. He's old, sleepy, doddering Joe, who was sleepy Obama's Joe. wingman. That's what he's selling, that, you know, stability and kindness and the genteelness that comes from 45 years in the Senate. I but thought he proved. He, even still, he could have the whole thing with the pandemic, like the idea that he didn't say that Trump has been belittling the idea of masks from the beginning. He's still doing it. He's put a guy in charge who is saying, hey, let the virus rip Dr. Atlas. Like he, there's just so many things he just let slide. But who by. are you playing to? Go ahead, Zach. Here's the thing. Who are we helping right now okay. criticizing Biden? Doesn't like, matter. Do we have nothing better to do than attack Joe Biden for not being everything we we hoped and dreamed that he could be? Like we know that we ended up with Biden as the candidate because we had a huge field of Democrats and a whole lot of splits in a lot of different directions, and we ended up with someone who's kind of centrist and someone kind of familiar and and someone who's sort of a reflection of of where we once were. So. We're, to, to, to post, pin all these hopes and dreams on him is is really unfair. But like, how many minutes of this podcast and and, and show do we need to spend attacking the person that four we more hours? To save our day? Four more hours. <laughs> hey, four more. First of all, it doesn't matter what we. It doesn't matter if we trash Biden. Hang on for one second. I'm going to trash Biden. I'm voting for him. Okay. I don't like him. But he got me tonight the same way he got me when he went up against Palin and the same way he went up against Ryan. He got me tonight. I'm all in. I hate him. He's a liar, but he has to win. And I think, John, what he did, what he did tonight is he wasn't playing to you. You already have given your vote to him. He's playing yes. to the idiots who haven't made their minds up yet and are going to go, I don't like Trump. He's a he's mean. That's who he's playing to. Honestly, honestly, I, I cannot predict what those people I can't get in their head. I don't know what moves them because, yes, I I already made up my mind and my hope while I was watching it was. Okay, I hope most people have already made up their mind and they're not making up their mind based on this debate. They they don't. The debates don't really the unless it's a complete debacle. 
debates don't move the needle the way we think they do. They're, they're events, no. they're boxing matches, but they don't really have that much gravitas when it comes to getting people to go to the polls. And I wanted to ask the Reverend Barry W. Lynn this question. There's no doubt in my mind that if Bernie Sanders were the nominee, he would have mopped the floor with Donald Trump, but it would have been a Pyrrhic victory. He would have won the battle, and I'm and I I'm all in on Bernie. No. But I think given that we are teetering into a fascist state du jour, I think we're a de facto fascist state, but I think we are now on the brink of officially becoming a fascist right. state that we are this is I, unprecedented a, an incumbent president saying he cannot tell his supporters to accept the results of the election, already calling it rigged and fraudulent. This is different. It really is different. Do you think Bernie, do you think Bernie, given what this debate went like, don't you think Bernie would have won, but you'd be shocked to discover that more people liked Trump? At the end of it, don't you think that's yeah, absolutely, because I think Bernie would have gotten too angry and would have played into this. And then when Wallace starts to say, gentlemen, gentlemen, he would have honestly been talking about both of them. I wonder, though, John, this we haven't talked about the laughing and this idea of walking out, which I'm I would like to think Biden at least thought about in the first 20 minutes. It's like Hillary, remember, who allowed Trump to get behind her in that second debate and stalking. And she says in her book that she did seriously consider turning around and saying, Donald, are you stalking me? I personally believe if she had done that, she would be the president of the United States. The walking off thing, though, is even more dramatic. And I'm not sure how it would have played. But what do you think of the laughing? What do you because I know he does that all the time. Fox News. He does that all yeah, the time. He does, but he, he did it with Sarah Palin and he, he and, did. And he did it with uh, Ryan. He laughs. That's yeah, his way of exactly. fact checking. That's his way of subliminally fact checking an inveterate liar like how do you, Trump, Palin, how do and you Ryan. Think, but in this context, how do you think it plays? Won't this become, once again, what the meme is, the Fox News people, the Drudge Report people, won't they point this out and say Biden had nothing to say? All he did was laugh. Well, all that matters is what the people all that matters is what the people in Michigan, probably Ohio, maybe Pennsylvania, certain parts of Maine, Arizona think that's all that it comes down to. Let me bring in. I'm going to thank Zach Ford for joining us today. Thank you so much. It is an honor. And I'm going to send John Ross down into the peanut gallery if you want to stick around and come back. Come back later. Yeah, and, this is- and I'm going to send the Reverend Barry W. Lynn into the peanut gallery temporarily. If you want to come back, you're welcome to join us. And I'm going to send Zach Ford into the peanut gallery. But this is a very special moment we have with us. We have with us the First Lady of the United States taking time from her busy schedule 
not having sex with the president of the United States. Please welcome First Lady Melania Trump. Hello. Hello. Hello, Davey. Is it you? Is it you? Really, Melania? Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Davey. It is I, Melania, First Lady, Melania of the United Emirates of America, a Tandy company. Yes, is it a Tandy corporation? I didn't know that, America. Yes, Davy. Thank you, Melania. Thank you. Thank you. What did you ask me? You had a question? I, I want to tell you. Uh, about you you, you asked me if you wanted you wanted me to you wanted me to know oh, if you if you wanted to I, I show you my teats now no 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 thank you though very sweet of you thank you no but first lady you were there at the debate can you give us uh, your take on tonight's events between your husband and Joe Biden and, and Chris Wallace what what do you think Jess Davy I think it was the worst three way ever <laughs> yes. The old man smell was overpowering. Yes. Somebody crack a window <laughs> is what I felt. Yes, we all did. Melania would rather watch Jerry Nadler crap his pants again for the fourth time this week, and it's only Tuesday. Thank you. Yes, the, the American people agree with you. How thank did you, your... How, yes, thank you, Melania. How did your husband prepare for tonight's debate? Well, Davy, I poured a pitcher of ice water down his pants while he passed out into a bucket of fried chicken. Ah, I believe that's how Sonny Liston would prepare for a major bout. Yes. And, and how do you think your husband did? Well, Davy, this debate was total train wreck. A total train wreck. Yes. Just like my like in my films. Your films? Yes, Davy. My films. Who's in my caboose? And oh, yes. We love that. Who's in my caboose? And pulling a train And, to and what was the other one? Pulling a train to Bahrain. I love that. That was so great. Thank you, First Lady Thank Melania you, Trump. Thank you for coming here today. Thank you, Davy. Remember, we are oil in this toilet together except i am very rich and i will never have to meet you in public i show you my teats now oh no no thank you thank you melania trump are you going to end with your uh, your famous sign off thank you davy don't get sick it is waste of time and remember uh heil hitler <laughs> Thank Thank you, you, Melania Trump, the First Lady of the United States. Thank you you, very much. That was Melania Trump, who did such a great job for Diabetic Fury. When we come back, the post-debate mop-up continues. Okay, all flight controllers, go, no, go for landing. Retro. Go. Righto. Go. Guidance. Go. Control. Go. Telcom. Go. GNC. Go. Ecom. Surgeon. Go. Capcom, we're go for landing. Eagle Houston, you're go for landing. Over. Roger, understand. Go for landing. 3,000 feet.
You're listening to the David Feldman Radio Program, you sad, pathetic hump. Well, joining us in Ontario, Canada, is Professor Adnan Hussein. He is chairman of the Religion Department at Queen's University, and he's wearing his Bernie T-shirt. What do you think? Earlier, thank you for joining us. And I had a great time on your discourse, uh, Discord channel, Sunday with Rorickie. Why don't you tell everybody what uh, what you were studying? You have to unmute yourself. Oh, I have to do this. Okay. Okay. I, I've only been doing this for 11 years. I'm a kid. Okay, terrific. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Thank oh, you. Oh, great. Okay. Great. I looked at the schedule. This is my turn, not Adnan's. I agree. I agree. But, but I want to add, I was just about to text before I came on. I was going to say, bring Adnan in with me. How's that? All right. Let's go. All right. Let me ask say, Professor I, I Harvey. I expecting to come after Harvey so I would know what to say. I you can't. Know? All right. Well, let's show that. I was just about to text and say, bring Adnan in with me. Well, we can't have Professor Harvey J.K. talk until Professor Mike Steinel sings. So let me ask Professor Adnan Hussein, and then we'll uh, we'll get to uh, Harvey J.K. in a second. And Jim Earl, I try to join Jim. Uh, Jim, if you raise your hand, that would be great. Professor Adnan Hussein, in the uh, safety of Canada. How did you I'm feel? a political refugee, and after what I saw tonight, uh, I don't think I'll be coming back anytime <laughs> soon. <laughs> but um, Wait a yeah. don't you live in a Trump property? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry. <laughs> it's um, yeah. It was it was quite a display tonight. I think um, uh, I would say my my turning point moment. I think in the end. Biden came out better. And I think he did not start strong. I thought Trump was cleaning his clock, dominating the debate, making his snide remarks, playing his game as the outsider, even though he's the president of the United States, but running against Joe as the establishment failure. But I think the debate turned when uh, and I don't know if this was at all intended, but when um, Joe Biden made an offhand remark attacking his competence and used the word smart, I think at that moment, all the other accusations that he's a liar, that he you know, uh, misled people, that he's indecent, that he's a divider, all, all of those things. This is a shameless era of politics and Trump is totally shameless. You cannot shame him, but you can demean him. And when he questioned his competence and his intelligence, not even in a very direct way, I thought that got under Trump's skin. He lost it. And I think from that point forward, he was much less coherent in his ability to keep undermining and running, you know, as the outsider. And I think by the end of the debate, his fear of losing this election was palpably overcoming any other kind of strategy. I think his strategy was to make it a complete nightmare and chaos and suppress the vote. Maybe that was his strategy, but I think in doubling down on that, he ended up looking even worse than Biden for all his incoherence and inability 
to really land a punch. So I, I think that's what turned turned uh, turned it for me is that emotionally Trump lost it and he came off looking really out of control. Okay, Jim Merle has joined us. Professor Harvey J.K. is about to join us, but we can't introduce Professor Harvey J.K. without Professor Mike Steinel's love theme. Let's listen to the Harvey J.K. love theme. Harvey J.K., he's got a lot to say. About Thomas Paine and FDR. St. Peter, don't you call me, cause I can't go. Harvey JK is on the show today. Harvey JK. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's amazing. Harvey J.K. wants you to be radical. Dogmatical Won't take a sabbatical St. Peter, don't you call me Cause I can't go Harvey J.K. is on the show today Harvey J.K. That is the great <laughs> Professor Mike Steinel. It's the only reason we do this show. I want you to know that Mike Steinel has proven my mother right. And that is? Okay, so when I was born, my parents had, were debating what to name me. And my father wanted to name me Hamilton. Hmm. My mother said, absolutely not. No Jewish boy is going to grow up a hammy. And she said... <laughs> She said it's going to be Harvey, and and basically Mike put it to t into a tune, and my mother, who passed away a couple of years ago, would be very very happy to know that, and very pleased to know that she chose the right name to give it that kind of musical edge for Mike. Okay, Professor Harvey J.K. is the author of FDR and Democracy: The Fight for the Four Freedoms, and take hold of our history among many other great books. And in another life, 
He was one of the is and was one of the world's leading experts on Marxist historians. Have you ever in your life seen anything like this? No, and no, I haven't. Period. I haven't. Are you um, disgusted? Are you depressed? Or did you expect this? I expected it. Well, I, you know, one of the things about being an, an academic, and I'd be interested in knowing if Adnan doesn't go through the same thing, is you learn to think schizophrenically. So you learn to think in terms of what's good for America, what's good for, you know, intellectual discourse, and what's what and what you like. I mean, it's, you know, it's that kind of thing. And let me just say that it was a, a terrible night for public rhetoric, public debate, and democratic discourse. Absolutely terrible. If we think more specifically, however, as to the outcome of it, of the debate, I'll, I go further than Adnan. I, I think from the very start that Biden had had this evening, that this was his evening, but not because of his performance in an active way, but rather because Trump, from the start to the finish, showed himself to be the madman, the bully, the utterly incompetent figure that that he truly is. He has political savvy. He's fine for TV, but he is awful, awful in any kind of public setting such as this. Would this have worked four years ago? It would have seemed refreshing four years ago to see Trump yeah. talking to Biden this way. But yeah, now yeah. it's just it blustered, well right? Nice. Look, after what we have been, after what the American people have been through these now almost four years, you know, topped off by the pandemic, they must have been, the majority had to be disgusted. Now, clearly his hardcore base might well have been enthused by it. Okay. But that goes, you don't even need to you know talk much about that. But if to the extent that the, that the Biden campaign was looking to appeal to suburban middle and upper middle class voters, Trump really did help Biden. Yes. And I think the only, and the only times that Biden may well, there were two things. First, when Biden came back with a, a quip like, shut up, man, that kind of thing. Or you want to know the suburbs if you made the wrong turn. That was a good yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. Right. But but what, what, what is interesting about is that when he sat there, sorry, stood there, almost nodding his head like, you know, look at what we have to endure. Every single moment that Trump spoke, more and more of those maybe undecided folks went to Biden, okay? Because they all of a sudden imagined the, the violence of the next four years. And then, surely the, 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 the cherry on top was when he said at the end, he, they were both asked, will you tell your supporters right, right. to accept the deal? Basically, he said no. He said no, because he said, if I think that there's fraud. Well, he said there was fraud for the last four years. Right. And he's already said they're cheating now. So he's basically warned us he is going to go to whatever lengths not to have to leave the White House. Jim Earl, the president of the United States tonight said of the election results, this will not end well. This will not end well. That right. is one of the most chilling. It's not going to end well. <laughs> well. How do you expect it is to end well? He's talking about <laughs> not accepting. End well. It's He's... not ending well. It's not starting well. It's <laughs> in the middle. It's, it's not well at all. None of this is well. It's completely 
utterly fucked and we have two feeble-minded demented idiots on stage and we're arguing about who won nobody won no, I, nothing was discussed not once you know jim i've heard you say that before and if you can't tell the difference between biden and trump i can then, seriously you. speaking then, then then i think you need to sit back and ask yourself ask yourself what do you expect to happen if trump wins that is going to be that is going to be no different than if Biden would. And this is an ambush, Jim Earl. We brought you on this show. I just want you to know this is an ambush. Let me answer my your question. <laughs> For God's sakes. What, what, what are you, Chris Wallace? Look, I can tell the difference. Can you tell me what will fundamentally change? If, if can, I, Biden can I tell you what will fundamentally change? Nothing. He, he, uh, no, no, no. Seriously. Wait, wait, wait. Let me finish my, okay. my question. Uh, my, you asked me a question. Well, let me finish it completely, and then you can go ahead. Okay. He has a Peabody, Professor Kate. I have a penis. <laughs> <laughs> this is a man who told his donors, okay, his donors, and nothing will fun- fundamentally change. You never lie to your donors. You always tell the truth to your donors. You lie to the voters. Nothing will fundamentally change. Oh, sure, it may look better for a while, but nothing is going to help. You didn't hear either one of those men on stage tonight say anything that would be of benefit to the average American. Nothing. It was all war hawkishness. It was all lying about each other's records. It was, it was Trump pointing out hypocrisies. The same hypocrisies with Biden, the, the, that, the same hypocrisies that he pointed out with Hillary. Okay. That Perf- exposed the Democratic Party for what it is. We don't want to get, this is a post-debate mop-up, so we don't want to talk about whether or not you should vote for Trump versus Biden or stay home or vote for Howie, whomever. That's not the purpose of tonight. You want me to vote for Howie Klein? Is that Howie Klein? Yes, of course. The purpose of tonight is literally to do the thing we hate the most, which is talk to Jim Earl. No, it's. uh, (laughs) I think Trump won. I think Trump won. Why did Trump win? By the way, your Melania bit was hysterical. He because he attacked, and he was relentless, and uh, and Biden looked feeble-minded, and he and he 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 looked physically feeble and he slurred his speech constantly and he could barely complete a sentence and he didn't he didn't attack he didn't counterattack okay professor harvey jk let me address that and get your response and professor adnan hussein my background is at stand-up comedy i understand something about uh, not doing well as a stand-up comic one of the things i've learned as a stand-up comic is too much confidence alienates the audience. If you're a little frail, the audience begins to root for you. If you're too slick and too strong, they have no emotional investment in you. We learned this in politics from Reagan being a little little cloudy-headed in the first race. And we learned that from George W. Bush, who was like beheaded. Reagan was cloudy headed. George W. Bush was beheaded in 2000. People liked him, you know? So Jim, the doddering, the sleepy Joe, the 
poor syntax and the stuttering, I think that works for him. Professor Kay? Well, for a start, they warned us about the stuttering. So right. American people were already primed to that. But, but that's not what I want to talk about. And it's almost it's almost F, like FDR overcoming. Like we didn't know about FDR yeah. being yeah. in a wheelchair. When you watch Biden and you watch him stringing these sentences together and the story of his stutter, which... Whether, you know, whether whatever you think of the guy, he overcame something and now he's going up against the ultimate bully. That is a real story. That is Is a Cinderella story. He he was mocked for his stutter in school and now he's going up against every bully who made fun of him. Every nun who wrapped his knuckles for having a stutter. It's a beautiful story. I want to say that. my feeling is that Biden, did, I said early on, he didn't win by his activeness or his activism on stage. He won by the fact that Trump Trump was bleeding voters tonight. OK, not not his base, but the folks that might, you know, that might probably voted Republican last time. Now, let me also say that I think Biden failed himself badly on certain at certain moments. He once again felt compelled to say, I beat the socialist. Fucking. I mean, shooting himself in the foot. Absolutely. I I disagree. I disagree. He also said said that uh, he he didn't need to say, I opposed the I opposed the Green New Deal the way he did. I mean, he could have literally transcended all of that. And he didn't do that. So to that extent, I don't agree with Jim's general proposition. But but Jim is right, okay? Biden does not rise to the occasion. And as a consequence, he's he's not appealing to progressives, if we matter at all, anyhow, quite frankly. And he's not appealing to people under the age of thirty. He he won no votes tonight from that group, okay? That that I would that I would bet. Okay. James Evanoff from the United Steelworkers was one of Biden's guests tonight, Professor Harvey J.K. Did mm-hmm. Biden do a good enough job selling the American people, that American people, that he would help unions? That he is. I don't think he had. I, no. I, well, I don't think there was. I don't think Biden had won the opportunity right, right. to move in the direction that I would have liked him to move in to, you know, to go. But I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that he was going to do that either. Now, I will tell you this. I think I mentioned this on the show the other night, um, but I want to reiterate. I wanted Biden tonight. Look, the best case scenario, he literally won the night by talking about, I've learned my lesson. I've seen the light in the course of this shadow of the pandemic. Medicare for all, universal health care. He doesn't have to use the term Medicare for all. He could have said, we must move towards universal health care. That way he didn't have to go anywhere near the term Medicare for all. But the, but the, other, thing, the other thing is is that I wanted him to drop the F-bomb. And I'm, I, people thought I'm kidding about this. I'm not kidding. When Trump behaved as he did, I just wanted him to turn to him and say, what the fuck is wrong with you? Or Fuck you. Is that the way you want to talk in front of the American people? And by the way, he would have won more votes. OK, because he would have it would have been the humorous moment of the entire night. He didn't do it. I, I, I disagree with you. I take my cues from Michelle Obama, 
who said when 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 they go low, you curl up into a little ball and buy an eighteen million dollar home on Martha's Vineyard. My now, wife is laughing in the other room and listening to you. Dave. She agrees with me. You don't curse. It's not nice, <laughs> Professor Adnan Hussein. You're you're the, the head of the religion department at Queens University. Isn't what what is it? The first commandment: don't take, don't curse. Isn't if we're going to apply religion, we're at the edge of the apocalypse. So all bets are off. You know, normal morality does not like pertain when you're at the end. But consult your um, GPS. We're there. Right. Exactly. No, I, th- I thought, you know, I mean, I agree with much of what Jim uh, was saying uh, for the first part of I, th- I, th- I thought. I was worried that Biden was looking so weak and that Trump was playing his usual games. Um, and that, frankly, that his strategy may be just make it a mud fest and suppress the vote, disillusion people. He's all about suppressing the vote anyway. He knows his hardcore base will come. They will come on the day. They're not going to do mail-in ballots and, you know, try and turn it, capture the narrative the night of, declare victory, and then see if you can, you know, hang on and, and, and create confusion. But I think he is very frightened about being embarrassed um, that, you know, the popular vote, I think, is going to be higher this time. The disparity. Now, that doesn't mean he won't win, according to our ridiculous, undemocratic electoral system. It's still possible for him to win. Uh, but I think it is going to it is potentially going to be very embarrassing. I think he signaled he's you know just going to call it a fraud. But it's but. That strategy looked better a little while ago. Now, under the lights, he looked a little nervous, it seemed to me. And that wasn't a good look for him. And frankly, I thought he had a little bit of a Fredo moment. You know, I'm smart. Not like everyone says. <laughs> right, dumb, right. You know, right. I mean, it, 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 it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> good for him. Now, none of this is the credit for Biden, who was horrible for the first part uh, and then managed to get out of his way a little bit. Um, but really, it was it was about Trump kind of losing it, I think, more than it was about. Well, just as Harvey said, it really wasn't that Biden. I thought he had a few good lines, but he's not capable of carrying forward the argument. He gets thrown off so easily when Trump was interrupting him. He couldn't stick with his point. So he didn't deliver some of these good prepared lines. You know, he said it's not about our my family or his family it's about your family which actually was a good move like that's what people do want to hear about but then he wasn't able to follow that up with what's he gonna do for your family right and the fact that because he doesn't have much specifics and because he couldn't stick with it and really press the point that i mean i think he had a he had a line here that he could have continued with that looked promising which was to say which he did also when it was about the mask and the covid that you know he he doesn't care about you so if he doesn't if he's not worried for himself he doesn't care about you but he didn't make that through line that he sold you a bill of goods now you know that he didn't plan to do anything for you and he hasn't done anything for you he's only done it for his rich wealthy friends the stock market etc but he doesn't have either the mental acuity right now to really care uh, carry that through nor does he have the record you know to be honest or the inclination to really go populist he's sort of i think 
you know, when there was talk about the laughing in a previous uh, discussion about his laughing. And, you know, as you pointed out, David, that's his fact check sort of moment. I don't think it's great. I don't think it's the best tactic. It really didn't work for Hillary because she came off very smug and smirky. Biden, it wasn't good, but I think he got away with it. I think more people like Biden than they do. More people like him. But I think after four years, he was able to do this laughing uh, in a different way that was sort of this weight of the world laughing where you felt Biden is pained by how terrible the situation is rather than Hillary looking forward. How in the world could this buffoon be taken seriously? I'm so much smarter. Um, So those were the things that he managed uh, to his credit that are not about his policy, not about his mental sort of uh, abilities as a debater or his quickness. But, you know, those were things that I think helped his case. Professor Harvey, go ahead, Jim. Just a a note here that none of this would be happening today had not Barack Obama gotten together with Amy Klobuchar and Pete Buttigieg and Mike Bloomberg and his $1 billion campaign to shut out Medicare for all and Bernie Sanders. None of this would be happening today if not for the great leadership of Barack Obama in that regard that's right you're relitigating the past you either this the past affects the future we all know i know but you're either terrified of a president this is right now this is the moment a sitting president of the united states says that november 3rd will not end well it's it's never happened before you think it's going to end well with with biden as president It'll it's end not, better. It's not going to end. It's going to end, end better what? Well, it's going to yeah. end. Either no. way, either how end is going to end. How can you measure it? It's just impossible. It is ridiculous to even contemplate that. Can I just remind everyone who's listening that I'm talking here to one guy who escaped to Canada and another guy who escaped to the woods of Maine. Right. And I'm here in the city of Green Bay, Wisconsin, in the state with the third highest per capita um, coronavirus. And by the way, I, I know, that, the, I, know that I have no reservations in saying that Joe Biden, even in senility, would have handled the coronavirus pandemic better than Donald Trump. Right. Well, yes. And he's still barely ahead in the polls. How pathetic. Okay. Well, but okay. can you possibly be where you have 200,000 needless deaths neg- caused by negligence and an utterly corrupt war criminal? In, in office, and you still can't be at least 10, 20, 30 points ahead of this man. It well, is let me bring in, this is now it's going to, it's, this is great. Professor Marianne Cummings joins us. I call her the commish mm-hmm. because she was a Bernie Sanders delegate in 2016. And he said specifically to the women, yes, run. Ladies, run. Not the way Donald Trump tells women to run. You ran for office and you're the the parks commissioner of a parks commissioner of Aurora, Illinois. And you're also a physics professor. You agree with Jim Earl, don't you? Oh, yeah, I do. Uh, It's kind of amusing. I I thought I wasn't going to come on for another two hours. I was just about to pour myself a glass of wine. I, I went through this whole thing without a drink. 
but it was uh, quite really. It, but you know, I, I've been kind of going back and forth. I, I've, I've been seeing what my uh, right wing buddies over in the Twitters have been doing. They're not happy. Really, <laughs> they're not happy either. And I was looking over to see what Matt Taibbi and uh, Katie Helper, who invited me on their Zoom tonight, <laughs> but I said, ah, not going. But what they were saying. Ooh, can I have that invitation? That, Wait a second. I'll take that invitation. Jim, you host yeah, the show. <laughs> I, I want to hang out with Matt Taibbi. <laughs> but the thing is, is that, you know, they're thinking like, God, you know, Biden lost this. So it's just kind of weird how, like, both sides think they've lost. Now, you know, I, really? I don't think I could have had a drinking game with this because it was so incoherent. And it was just, uh, and, and uh, Mike Wallace just was not getting control of this situation. But you're, you're, no, no, you're, that's it. you're talking about George. You're thinking of that's George Wallace, the son, George Wallace, the governor of <laughs> Alabama. Oh wait a minute, Chris the, Wallace. Chris Did Wallace. I say Mike Wallace. Like that's no. any better? That's like, I said uh, Mike Wallace's kid, Chris Wallace, one of the ones. Anyway, I'm, I'm sitting back and going, you know, it just reminded me what uh, Kyle Kalinske said about uh, about Joe Biden the whole time during the primary. And he thought Joe Biden would eventually go down the polls because he thought a lot of his support was default. It's what people remembered of 10, 12 years ago of, of Joe Biden when he did the debate with Sarah Palin. I mean... When there was bullshit that needed to be done, Biden was your guy to do that kind of crap. And he also handled well, Eddie Munster, Paul Ryan, uh, right. pretty easily also. Eddie but Munster. the problem is tonight, he's <laughs> not that guy. And I think a lot of people were watching for the really for the first time, and they've got a vision of, of Biden in their head. Uh, that's the Biden of like 12 years ago, or, you know, or almost 10 years ago. The Biden tonight is a very faded version of that Biden. And I don't think that will help him. Okay. But that being said, yeah, uh, you're right, Adnan. He started off strong. I thought the turning point, though, in terms of the energy of the debate was when Trump said something about the Proud Boys. I'd ask them to, like, stand down but stand aside or stand by. I don't know. I felt something like even he and his lizard brain kind of uh, that might not have come out right. He wouldn't. But he wouldn't. He would not come out against the Proud Boys. No, he wouldn't. He almost began to defend them. He almost. But he knows, you know, he knows that's wrong enough. He's got enough of sensibility to know that's. But it's like that that was just a moment. That's where he got. I don't think it was so much what Biden said that got him rattled. I think that moment is where he just seemed to, like, lose his footing a little bit being Trump. I mean, I'm not talking about the debate or the content. There was no debate or content. I mean, this was like walking into the psychiatric wing of the nursing home or something. And, you know, it's. And, and, and Biden couldn't even defend himself on taxes. He couldn't. It was pathetic. And, and it's typical of Trump. His effectiveness is pointing out the hypocrisy of the Democratic Party. Yeah. And he does that. Well, let me bring in Mark Breslin. Let me bring in Mark. Can everybody stay? the tax code. Right. Can everybody stay, please? Uh, Mark Breslin, you are the founder and president of Yuck Yucks, the largest comedy chain in North America, perhaps the world. You were also recently given the Order of Canada. 
only which of course david would make me a perfect um a perfect expert in american politics well how did you feel when you found out that donald trump only paid seven hundred and fifty dollars in taxes you don't pay any taxes in america what you don't pay america what do you mean? Oh, I don't pay American taxes. No, you course, don't. And you proudly taxes. and you say that proudly. That I don't pay American taxes. Yes, yes. yes but I pay Canadian taxes. But you, you, you have you are higher right. than um, what your marginal tax rates are in the United States, which is why we have things like uh, health care. Right. But as somebody who doesn't pay taxes, can you relate to Donald Trump? Do you, did you, did you feel a kindred spirit? With the man. Okay, David, I don't know where you're going with this. It's, going, so. it's a bad premise. How did you, how'd you like premise. the debate? Sorry. How, Sorry. how did you but like the I debate? When I heard that Donald Trump, when I heard that Donald Trump only paid seven hundred and fifty dollars in taxes, I wasn't surprised because I didn't even feel he probably did anything illegal. This should shine a light. This should shine a light on your tax system, which is completely corrupt and needs uh, incredible amounts of of overhaul because he's not the only guy like him who's done this. Right. Right. Okay. Anyway, this would never happen in Canada. I can always say that proudly. Yes, we have cross collateralization of businesses, and yes, you can write uh, carry forward losses, but there are limits on what you can do, and it would never amount to that. Billionaires still have to pay their their share here. That's why there's so few billionaires. As a as a producer of television and comedy shows, yeah, trying to market a personality, trying to predict how the candidates did, who do you think garnered the most votes after tonight? Well, I'm not sure that debates ever really influence most people uh, in the way that they're going to vote, because ultimately, um, all it really proves usually is who's a better debater. It doesn't really prove who's going to be a better leader of a country. I mean, you could imagine somebody could be actually not very good at talking and could still be a very good leader, could still make very good decisions. But it's probably the only metric we have. If I were Trump's campaign manager, just before he went on, I would have slipped him a Valium. And I think it would have been a lot better for Trump because Trump's anger and his uh, his bellicosity and his uh, just his did you see his face? You know, they say that who said I think it was Churchill that by 50, every man has the face he deserves. And boy, does his face look ugly because he is an ugly person. And what came out of this debate you could debate, you know, what I don't know enough about the details of American politics to say, oh, he was right on that. He was wrong on that. Biden was right on this. Uh, Trump was wrong on that. But what I can do is I can listen to the the kind of person that that's talking. And Trump is such an embarrassment on every single human level. Biden, he's a career politician and not uh, probably a nice guy in quotations, whatever that means. But I also sat there thinking, well, what if ha- would have happened if Bernie Sanders had won the, uh, the Democratic nomination? How would he have handled it? And I think Sanders would have come right out and said something like 200,000 dead on your watch when you knew it was going to happen. Mr. President, you are a murderer. Right. Which would have been better than saying the F word, I think. Sorry? Professor K was saying he should have said the F word. Professor K, I think calling him a murderer would have been more effective. How about you fucking murderer? Oh, there you go. Compromise. By the way, Mark Breslin, I have to correct you. 
Yes. Ed Gein said, every man gets the face he deserves when he's 50. That's very very funny. I think Ed Gein ended up with about 50 faces he deserves. Yeah, a lot of faces, yes. You know what? Some people are (laughs) two-faced. But, um, uh, you know, to not condemn white supremacy when it would have been so easy for him to do it, even if he doesn't believe it. What an easy thing to do. Didn't do it. That's going to come back and completely bite him on the ass. Um, you know, going after his family, uh, Biden's family, low, low, low blow, as if Biden couldn't turn around and go after Trump's idiot family. But he right. didn't. But he didn't. Prefer- but he didn't, because he's a classier guy. No, and whether he's, he's truly a classy guy or he's acting like a classy guy almost doesn't matter. Because what he's saying is, if you elect me, I'll act like a classy guy. Professor Hussein, what is the political hay to be had by not Go, coming out against the Proud Boys. Why? I mean, why? What votes do you stand to gain? Well, I thought that was an interesting moment, too. I wanted to ask Marianne a little bit more to clarify, you know, her point, because I thought he looked a little weak there by actually kind of half saying, yes, yeah, the Proud Boys, okay, because he didn't want to say white supremacists. So he's saying, well, who who are you talking about? He wanted like some specific group so that he could say, yeah, that's bad, but still sort of play to the base that I didn't condemn white supremacists as a whole. Um, And he also tried to walk the Proud Boys back a little bit, too. It was a kind of confused moment for him that I thought thought he was on his heels there and he looked a little weak on that position, like either play the normal game that you do, which is you know, uh, dog whistle, uh, play to your base and and say to, you know, to heck with like, you know, the commentariat that's going to say this is a terrible, you know, uh, wax all, you know, kind of melodramatic about, you know, how terrible it was that in a presidential debate we saw a candidate who, you know, um, you know, wouldn't condemn white supremacy, et cetera, as if it's nothing, you know, that's nothing new for, for Trump um, or. Um, figure out a new position. You know, if he feels that that's a, a weakness that will hurt him with these suburban voters and, and so on, you have to figure out something. And he thought by just saying, yeah, I think the Proud Boys, that's a problem. And then trying to um, talk his way out of that would would work. I don't I don't think it, it did well, well for him. No. So that's, well, that's I, I, I don't think it was even whether he said the right thing or the wrong thing. It was just that he himself was caught what was became a little unbalanced. I mean, now I, I, we're not talking about substance at all. We're talking about balance the entire night. Oh, no, but he was very uh, confident in himself being a raving lunatic. Yeah. I thought that that point was when he like lost a little nerve or something that he, he just kind of lost a little energy because yeah, I there was it a little something earlier. in his brain that just kind of made him kind of hold back. <laughs> anyway, um, that why was, would so? But what is he? What? Why would Trump not disavow the the Proud Boys? I think I think it's probably because he just forgot who they were. No, 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 no. It's, I, it's, I think I think sometimes when you people ask him questions and he, he gets this. If he knows who Antifa is, Donald Donald Junior and Eric is what he thought. No, no, no. no. He's depending. I, mean, I think he forgot for the moment. No, he's 
listen, <laughs> I don't mean to be an alarmist, but no, I, I'm with you, David. I think that he 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 um, those are his brown he, shirts. He can't risk, you know, the people who will come out on the streets to intimidate or go to the polls. Like exactly. We talk, need talk. people to go to those polls and be poll watchers. And unfortunately, some of them, I don't know the case that he was talking about, but clearly there were some of his supporters went to try and intimidate and suppress the vote. And they were asked to be removed. And he's trying to encourage his cadres of brown shirts to go out to the polls to suppress the vote because that's the only chance he has. He is extremely worried about a big turnout. It's it's clearly really bugging him. Mm-hmm. Mark Breslin, you're a Canadian. Yes. You, you're safe up there. Do you think we're on the brink of not necessarily... European style fascism, but something resembling Latin American fascism when when the president of the United States is talking this way. Yeah, well, luckily, there's a rather large opposition um, to him. And there's enough there are enough institutions in America to counter this. But it doesn't mean that, um, you know, you've got a free pass. If he wins for the next four years, it's going to be constant. You have to constantly resist. And there's nothing that you can do except constantly resist. It's going to be awful if he wins again because he's going to feel, well, they gave me a, you know, a mandate. I have a mandate to carry out these things the second time. Fool me once, but fool me twice. Shame on you. Right, right. Uh, Sorry, well, fool, me, fool me twice, shame on me. Right. We won't get fooled yeah. again, I think, is what George W. Bush I want to turn to a really creepy story that hasn't been getting too much traction. And if you don't think we're in Ernst Rome brown shirt territory, uh, you're not. uh, I don't mean to be rude, but this stuff is truly uh, terrifying. Tonight's debate took place under the grim news coming out of Fort Lauderdale where Donald Trump's recently uh, demoted campaign manager try to take his own life and is now hospitalized. I don't know how much people are talking about this. Now, you got to keep in mind that Trump's previous campaign manager, Paul Manafort, is serving seven years for witness tampering. His other campaign manager, Steve Bannon, was arrested last month for defrauding a charity promising to build a wall along the Mexican border. Steve Bannon took all that money and he was arrested. I think he was on the Chinese businessman's yacht in Florida, I believe. Now, Fort Lauderdale police say that Brad Parscale, Parscale, I don't know the pronunciation. Professor Kay, did you read about this? No, I I didn't. Yeah. Uh, Brad Parscale, he ran the Trump campaign up until July of this year. He was taken into custody on Sunday after his wife called. Huh? Oh, Jesus. Don't talk to Jesus. Wait till. David, I've been I followed that story. And what it means to me is clearly that suicide is a career move. After uh, working for Donald Trump. Exactly. (laughs) That's right. But it's worse than suicide. He was taken into custody. On Sunday, his wife called 9-11, reporting that uh, he was brandishing a gun and threatening to kill himself. 
His wife said her husband had been drinking for weeks, was abusing her physically, and that she feared for her own safety. He owns at least 10 guns and is now being held at the Broward Health Medical Center for observation. Two months ago, Jim Earl, he was Donald Trump's campaign manager. And now he's got, his wife says, PTSD, is threatening to kill himself. These are really sick and dangerous people, Jim. This has never happened before. Every campaign manager has been... do that to you. (laughs) At what point... Do people like you and me, and I've woke, I hate Biden, but I'm voting for him. At what time, at what, what do you have to read when you, when you look at who Trump is surrounding himself with and refuses to disassociate himself from Gavin McGinnis's Proud Boys? What do you think this election is about? Me? Yeah. What do I think this election is about? I don't think it's a. What kind of question is that? When you read about this isn't even a major story that this that the campaign manager. What about the major story that the New York Times just not released after four or five years of of uh, promising that the releasing his uh, tax returns would prove that he has conspiratorial ties to Russians and nothing of the sort was established. Nothing was released. Nothing. We don't know. That. We don't know. Those stories are still trickling in. So. Uh, but nothing was revealed. That's the whole thing. Four he years paid, of this. Schumer, Pelosi, everybody said it, it would happen. This would be it. Walls are closing in. Well, this is the because uh, the Russian narrative has been globbed onto and, and clung to because Trump to pull any other string, I'm talking about all his business deals, just like Manafort and all of his consulting and things like that, to pull on any of those strings too much would be to be unraveling the whole corrupt system. Yes. So the the Russia story that he's a Putin agent or a Putin asset is, it's great. It, it makes it particular to Trump and has nothing to do with the system that actually created Trump and allowed mm-hmm. Trump to flourish. Let's bring um, in Alan Minsky. He's the executive director of Progressive Democrats of America. Hey, hey. David, I was just typing into the chat room. Hmm. I wonder what the chat room or the David Feldman show will say about this statement. You got to admit, Obama and those guys at the DNC sure were right. Biden is a hell of a lot better candidate than Bernie Sanders. That's okay. Go ahead. We're all Bernie supporters here. I think everybody here thinks Bernie is the greatest American politician since Eugene. Well, I, want, I want to say that. I want to say that. Non, non, I, I, I think Bernie yeah. is is as great a politician as Ralph Nader, Eugene Debs. But what are we looking at, Alan Minsky? <laughs> what are we looking at after watching that debate? You know, I mean, obviously the spectacle is about the spectacle, isn't it? Because Trump made it that way. He he just decided he was going to try to interrupt sort of every verbal hesitation Biden made so that he would just sort of slip his words in there, bark over him, try to disorient Biden. And for the most part, it pretty much worked. Uh, I think Trump completely dominated. Uh, He got to sort of, you know, just 
you know, play like WWF on a presidential debate stage. And I don't I think it's fired up his base. I don't think this is going to win anybody over to the Biden camp, um, except they'll try in the press to say, look, look, look at the chaos that school creates. Well, everybody's been doing that for three and a half years, more than that now. So I don't think it was a good night for our team on this one. I certainly agree with you, David, that Biden has to win. I think Trump gave us just another in the a millionth example as to why he is. Uh, I mean, my God, the guy's just an absolute. It's just a crass joke. It's a joke of of history. But I, I still, of course, also believe that Donald Trump is president because neoliberalism is a dead ideology, a zombie ideology. Uh, you know, the America that I was born into was an America in which out of the, you know, struggles of the unions and the social democratic post-World War II social contract for white people, racist society, not for all Americans, but still as, as the notion was that followed from the idea that this was a democratic society, which it never was only for white people, right? But that it was accepted as American mythology. When I was born into a society where it was accepted the American dream and middle-class life was available for all. That was the America I was born into. That's ripped to shreds now. It's been ripped to shreds, certainly in the public imagination since the financial crisis of 07, 08, 09. You could argue that that thread was extended out to that point. The home, the ownership society, if you go back to 03, 04, 05, 06, people were flipping houses. They were fixing up houses. They were getting on the cheap through ninja loans. And they believed the American dream was still accessible. But that was the extension that that system could extend the debt loads of private households out, it collapsed. And the American dream as such has been dead since that point, and the American public knows it. And so could, you have, could, if it weren't for... Biden is, why is Biden so pathetic? It's not just because, you know, he's obviously, you know, he's, he's passed his cell date as a political candidate and public figure, but I do think it's a, it's a zombie ideology. There's no real defense of... You know, and the and the moderate wing of the Democratic Party is a conservative political faction. It's trying to conserve the status quo of the neoliberal order. Okay, now do we need him to win? Yeah, we sure as fuck do because the of the two major parties in our two party system, the other option is proto fascist authoritarianism, and we saw that on full display. He was at his Mussolini esque, you know, P.T. Barnum cross fertilizer Mussolini, and I think I'm insulting both P.T. Barnum and Mussolini as I say that. Hey, I like coming over here. I, can, I was just on a PDA call. I had tongue and be, you know, party line on everything. Fun to come over to the David. Uh, it's good to have you here. So you're, you know, I'm America's yeah. doctor, okay? And America's doctor <laughs> has arterial sclerosis and it needs a heart transplant. And it's got to be plunged of all its uh, cholesterol. And it's on death's door. Do you want the doctor to say, here's what you did wrong, America. I know we have to give you a heart transplant, but let me tell you what you did to get to this situation. Or do you want to go in and remove the blockage? Jim Earl, what would you write? If you're, if you, you think America needs to be lectured right now about yes, how we I got want a doctor? I wouldn't want a doctor telling me what I did wrong so I don't repeat that mistake. But how about you get election rid of the blockage after, first? Election after election. Why don't you get rid of the blockage first? The blockage was caused by you repeating the same mistake. Over and over and over again. But if you don't remove the blockage, the patient will be dead in five weeks. You can't remove a blockage with another blockage. 
Well, some blockages. <laughs> Mark Breslin, you want to help me out here on this? Uh, well, I'm having a problem with your metaphor. Thank you. Um, since I, I have to go for a colonoscopy next week. <laughs> but um, the reason I, th- I think we have to keep something in mind. I know all you all of you can't stand Biden and you're really disappointed that it wasn't a better candidate. But you have to think about bench strength um, and look at the Republicans and how awful their bench strength is and how it's hurt your country and how it's hurt the Republican Party. On the other hand, look at the good people in the Democratic Party. Hey, Alan, I don't know you, but you sound great. And you will have and if and if Biden wins, somehow you will have your influence upon that party and ultimately upon him. Tell me about that bench, Alan. Alan, uh, Alan Minsky, tell me about the bench he speaks of. I don't think it's a deep bench. I think that's the problem with the left. We have a horrible bench. The bench has gotten better. And by the way, you know, some of the organizations, there's a peculiar division of labor among all these left organizations, which PDA is one. But for instance, like our revolution sort of has come out of the box, isn't really, you know, sort of feel, feel its way in the dark. But they've done a very good job of actually recruiting people to run as real progressives. So has DSA, even radical progressives. Uh, you know, across the country, get people involved in politics, all because of the Sanders campaign. And by the way, I always do have to say when I bring up the Sanders campaign, for those of you who don't know, PDA is the organization that drafted Bernie Sanders. I was not the executive director then. No other organization did it. We drafted Bernie to run as a Democrat, and Bernie says as much in his biography, our book, Our Revolution. Anyway, yeah, the bench is getting deeper. That is true. Influence on the Biden um, presidency I think there's a better chance now because of the COVID uh, if he becomes, if he's elected and they control the Senate. And again, I don't think this was a good night for those prospects. Not a terrible night, but anyway, we'll talk about more about that later, but I think we can uh, get something more in terms of progressive policy out of Biden, but mainly because he's faced with the crises of the public health crises. Uh, Maybe the right wing court will inspire, will tear down the Obamacare. um, And so they'll be forced to consider Medicare for all. I don't think they'll go there because they're too much in the pockets of the health insurance industry. And, you know, the, the various Democrats from Connecticut and places where the health insurance industry is so strong, those people are never going to push it over the votes necessary to get it there. And well, do, the you know Professor, Ma- do you know Professor Marianne Cummings? Do you know Professor Marianne Cummings? No, I don't. Hi, Marianne Cummings. Hi. Hi, Ellen. I think oh, I totally talked when I was oh, yeah. on your podcast with, um, uh, oh, uh, the, the guy who wrote What's the Matter with Kansas and Thomas Frank. Thomas Frank. Yeah. Thomas Frank. Yes. We so just spoke briefly then. Professor Marianne Cummings heard the call from Bernie and she ran and now she's the commish. She's one of the commissioners, parks commissioners of Aurora, mm-hmm. Illinois, besides being a physics professor. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the bench that Mark Breslin and Alan Minsky speak of. You're on that bench. You know, you're a parks commissioner. God bless you. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I don't see a deep bench. I see a young bench in Congress. I don't Mm -hmm. see a a deep bench running for uh, running for governor, running for senator. Markey, where's our who do we have? Who's on this bench that uh, Bernie inspired AOC around? I think. Um, but these are young uh, people. Well, you know, that's the bench. That's the bench. No, 
the benches, the be- the benches, all the people that I saw who were competing for the presidential nomination for the Democrats. When Pretty, weak. Pretty weak. Pretty weak. You thought they were weak. They were all horrible except Bernie. No. Including Elizabeth Warren. No, no. As a Canadian, they all looked smart and they looked empathetic. And maybe it's a big act. I don't know. They're they're largely uh, lapdogs to corporate America. Sorry. So is Canada. Um, Yes. uh, (laughs) I mean, look, you know, in Canada, we have an actual socialist party, as you probably know, the New Democratic Party. It's been around since uh, the CCS was the forerunner of it. It started in the 30s. But even in Canada, it's never um, gotten more than 18 percent of the vote. And that tells and and America certainly and the United States certainly isn't as center left as as. Canada is. So I think you have to kind of take your um, your victories where you can find them. Well, uh, and, I, and I think, you know, the Biden, I'll call it the Biden opportunity rather than the Biden presidency. Um, my take on the, the drift of the even northern European countries with a sort of more hybrid neoliberal variation of their social democratic capitalist social contract and Canada fits into this mold. People have to recognize that you guys don't have such a huge percentage of your federal budget going to the military. No. So you have much better public schools. You have health care. So it, it, I think America also is the still the hegemonic country when it comes to the structure of global capitalism. So it's not surprising that the shift from the post-war Keynesian um, ideology towards neoliberalism came in the U.K. and America. You know, financialized capitalism happened here. In many respects, the continental European countries, the Far Eastern middle-class industrial countries and country like Canada are sort of just tracking after the United States, but they didn't dismantle their social democratic systems. We dismantle ours. Okay. You know, we really have a really rotten system and not a lot of promise for upward mobility, a massive Gini coefficient in the United States. So there's a real appetite here. Explain what that coefficient means. Oh, um, well, the, 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 the level of wealth inequality in the society. Right. And so there's a huge appetite. And you saw it with Corbyn. You saw it with Sanders. They both lost. You had incredible mobilizations among the elites to try to defeat both of them. This was more pronounced with Bernie in that one-month period this year than it actually was in 2016. Gini coefficient. And, um, you know, we'll see where it goes. You're right. Maybe it won't come to fruition. But I do think that there's energy in that wing of the party. And um, I agree with Jim Earl. If the Democrats keep throwing up, blocking the left and throwing up moderate neoliberal centrists at the top of their party, the public's not going to embrace that over the long haul um, unless they completely give up on anything like a, a life unless they're working themselves to death, just trying to keep themselves out of debt, which Pro- is what the social contract is right now. Professor Harvey, JK, you've brought candidates on this show, young lefties who are running for Congress. Right. Tell me about our bench. What do you see? I look if generations matter, the future the future is definitely progressive, maybe right. even increasingly social democratic. I don't think there's any question. Um, but you know, I don't I, I don't automatically buy into the fact that these this generation will continue to to, to remain you know well, will remain progressive or social democratic because basically speaking, look what happened to my generation. Mm-hmm. I, I mean. Look what happened. So, but it is the, but it is the case that politics matter, and the fact is that 
that it's a cho- right now the choice is what it is. I'm with you, David. I mean, look, I, I've, I, for 45 years, we've witnessed the class war from above. The Democratic leadership has basically decided. Look, I, I think capitalists are more amenable to social democracy these days than the Democratic leadership. And uh, the problem is how to get rid of the Democratic leadership. In the short term, the question is how do you survive the next year? And that way means you vote for Trump. And those of you who don't vote for Trump. No, Biden. Biden, Biden. I told you this before. I don't vote for Biden. I just don't have time for this kind of conversation. But, you know, sorry, who aren't going to vote for Biden. I've been doing too many shows tonight. I'm getting tired. I I don't have time to, to argue with people who don't see the imperative of electing Biden, no matter how bad he is. Because the fact is, the difference between Trump and Biden ultimately is one will shoot you know, disinfectant into you and the other one will just literally ignore you. I mean, you know, and I'd rather go after the person who ignores me than the guy who's ready to shoot disinfectant. And Abdin wants to talk, but I just want to be clear, that is 100% PDA's policy and the policy that I support as executive director as well. I know, I mean, Alan and I are on the same page. We just differed in terms of how much he appreciated Jim's remarks tonight. Well, you know, I said this. Uh, I said this before on your show, uh, David. If you don't think there's any difference between uh, Trump and Biden, you've never been a uh, a kid in a cage. Oh, the kid in a cage thing again. Oh, I'm What's sorry, the, but I, 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 I have a ten year old. So I'm, I'm, yeah. yeah. Well, then you were you thinking about that when when Biden and Obama were building those cages and facilitating the whole structure no, that no, uh, because Donald I didn't, Trump didn't is know about it. exploiting? No, because we didn't know about it. Well, right. Remember, it's Canada. We get certain information. Okay. Well, we knew about it because Obama was proudly telling us about it. He was warning Hondurans not to my, my, let me try to uh, escape from our foreign policy because they might be yeah, in spite of what I've said, I actually agree with everything Jim says in terms of Biden and Obama. I, I have no reservations. I mean, I, this has been my position for years. My politics on the left are, are well known. But I also know that the politics of the left do not survive four more years of Trump. And I do think that the politics of the left will explode in the course of the next year if Biden is in, not because people are happy with it, but the left does better when Democrats win, no matter how awful they are. That has been said, Jim. That, the, left, Jim the left Jim, doesn't do better. Well, the we had is- Occupy under we had Occupy under Obama. Yeah, and he completely scorned them. Yeah, well, but, but the, no, but, actually, they mobilized the FBI to like you know attack them and clear their camps, and you know, and and then he had mobilized the National Guard to be uh, on call against the Dapple protesters. I mean, and, but mm-hmm. for some reason, people just looked at Obama and were not bothered. Uh, Trump puts an ugly face on a lot of the ugly stuff already going on, so he kind of traumatizes people to actually be upset about it. Everyone believed that they were going to get a black president who would, in fact, be the messiah, and, and Obama himself pretended to be that. And the fact is, he was a neoliberal. Mm-hmm. So, the, so it was. So, look, look at what Labor did when Obama was president. Nothing. They did not want to embarrass a black president. That was clearly the case. Okay, put an old white guy in, and the left will definitely rise. I, the, we get the same story each election. We have to do. We have to settle now, so we can survive and live later. 
I, 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 fight I, I, fight. We'll be stronger after this. And it never happens. We always lurch further to the right. So why do we keep doing the same thing? So tell, just tell years? me, what does not voting for Biden get you? What does voting for Biden get you? What did what did voting for Obama get you? There is no voting for Clinton get you. Look, look, nothing. Well, when was the last time you ever said to yourself, "Wow, I'm glad I voted for so and so because they specifically spoke and addressed my my needs." And Bernie, for, for Bernie, Bernie, Bernie. I have never been happy voting, but I don't see voting as a means to happiness. Voting wasn't elected. I, I don't No, I said I don't see voting as the means to happiness. To me, the voting same. is a defensive measure. It has always been that. And that's because that's what it means. So you're voting your fears. The same thing goes for the Supreme Court. When was the last time the Supreme Court since addressed your personal needs and benefited the less and then the average person since the Warren court, the Gabe Obergefell legalizing same sex marriage. One thing I also want to ask you upholding Obamacare, I'm, calling I'm, I'm them actually concerned about, you know, the effects on two very distinct groups of people, regardless of the effect uh, of the election. One group of people are people who are uh, Sunrise Movement, Black Lives Matter protesters. I've been joining them on occasion around here. And this is what I fear with Biden. We'll get to Trump, second term of Trump in a minute. Um, I think these protesters will be expecting a level of support that they will not get from Biden. As a matter of fact, there may, there may be more hostile reactions from Democrats, if Black, Black Lives Matters are people are out on the streets doing what they're doing now, they're fine because they're disrupting things and they think it hurts Trump. But once Biden gets in, and they still—I mean, nothing has changed with these police departments—and Biden does not seem at all inclined to be pushing for fundamental change in these police departments. How are we going to prepare people that the fight might actually short-term be? more difficult. It's going to be, speaking to Professor Marianne, the Trump administration is going all in on law and order. They're activating ICE. The October surprise is ICE is coming to a city near you and rounding up people of color. Uh, Yeah. They don't need to come to Chicago. I mean, the mayor made it clear, like, Cracking the skulls of peaceful protesters is definitely the job of the Chicago cops. <laughs> so, no, but I, I mean, there's going to be, I have a feeling that people are more comfortable upscale. Democrats are, are somewhat behind Black Lives Matter now because we got Trump in office. Right. But what happens when Biden gets in office? And we're still out there in the streets, you know, disrupting the downtown areas, uh, disturbing people at uh, brunch or dinner or something like that. And we don't get support from the Democrats. I mean, in fact, we will get some more hostility. Are we preparing to particularly the young people? It's a lot of young people who are involved in these protests. Um, yeah, I can certainly speak to that, but I, a little while ago, I felt like I interrupted Adnan, so I, I wonder if Adnan wants to jump in. But I have an answer to Marianne if, if uh, anyone. 
Go ahead, Adam. Well, no, I, I was wondering, actually, uh, no, I think this is a very important um, kind of question. It's very hard to gauge what the response will be. I think Obama was a little bit hamstrung by, you know, he didn't want to. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen with uh, the left. I'm not as um, hopeful as uh Harvey, that it means that the left is going to surge forward and be able to organize and so on. I think it's just going to be a very hard struggle. And Lisa, Lisa said in the chat, you know, um, basically, if Biden wins, we have our work to do. It's going to be a struggle. And if uh, Biden loses, we have our work cut out for us. And that's something that I've said is basically nothing that much changes for the progressive left, you know, after the outcome of this election. Um, we still have to fight against neoliberalism or we're going to fight against proto-fascism. And, you know, we're not really that well prepared for it. I fear that we're not that well prepared for um and the Democrats don't seem well prepared for Trump clearly signaling that um he's not going to go quietly what's the you know what's the plan for that i just you know we keep thinking that this election is is the is the key issue and biden even tonight was trying to be very reassuring i mean it was kind of sweet when he was saying you know people it's gonna be okay just go out and vote and you know he will leave it's like well he's telling you he's he might not leave you know what's yeah, going to what be army is going to he what army is going to marshal to keep ice, himself in power ice 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 is preparing to go into sanctuary cities these are blue cities ice is preparing to go into philadelphia and colorado chad wolf the acting secretary of the department of homeland security will be joining ICE to invade blue cities, blue states, and chill the Hispanic, the Latinx vote. Because if you're a, a Hispanic, if you're Hispanic, but you're an American citizen, and ICE is coming to town, and they're watching the polls, uh, we have a long history of deporting American citizens here. Well, it would be nice if we actually had a candidate who supported doing away with ICE. It would be nice if we had a candidate who said during the debate tonight that there are immigrant women who were forced, who were sterilized in an ICE detention center. Less debate, too. Yeah. Yeah, but they won't want to open up all the scandals from deep within the, I mean, well inside the, the Obama time frame of the problems with the ICE facilities, the uh, sexual abuse of children. There was a couple of articles that I just read. One was from 2017, the other from 2014, you know, where that had been going on. And now they found that we were more children missing from that same time period. So let me bring in. Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, Professor. No, I, I just say that he probably doesn't, Biden doesn't want to do it. But I just wanted to finish up that said after the election, when Biden, when, when uh, Biden has won, I mean, Trump has no more power. I mean, most of these guys in these organizations, they're, they're a bunch of bureaucracies. They outlast several presidents. They've got careers that span decades. So they don't have any particular 
affinity for one guy, but the army doesn't uh, doesn't even follow most of uh, all of uh, Trump's orders, and the uh, national security state, a good chunk of them, are, do- are downright hostile to to Trump. I, I just so you're not as scared. As- no, I am not. I am not as scared. I think there's a lot of bluster. Um, you know, there's a lot of violence. America is a violent place. I mean. Yeah. Um, the Air Force yeah, Chief of Staff General Charles Q. Brown said uh, that he regrets assisting Trump in his march through Lafayette Square to hold the Bible up in front of in front of the church. So nice. there there okay. are people within. David. Yes. Sorry, David. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think you have to remember that Trump is a businessman first and foremost. And as a businessman, he's looking for his next investment. And saying he's not going to leave uh, the presidency is a great, he's taking notes for his next investment. So it's not that he has any real plan to, you know, bring in the military to, to, to shore up his, his presidency. No, he wants to leave in the ugliest way possible because that will create the best business plan for the next step for his career. Okay, let me bring in, if every, everybody can stay, I want to bring in America. A little bit, David. I can only stay a little bit uh, while longer. There's a big sale on Pornhub tonight, and I've got to get to it. Oh, but right. I'll stay for a bit. Okay, okay. All right. Uh, American hero Burt Ross joins us from Malibu. He was energy czar of New Jersey. He gave us the right turn on red, and he's a humor columnist for... The Malibu Times. And Bert, I was visiting my mother today in Anglewood, New Jersey. You have to unmute yourself. And I was driving in New Jersey and I thought they're all going to vote for Trump because the sun is rising, the sun is setting, the birds are chirping, and they see unrest. If you're in the suburbs, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but this was my fear. You see unrest on your television. And you think, I don't want that coming to a town near me. How how strong is law and order as a platform to run on? You ran for mayor of Fort Lee. Did you run on law and order? No, we had we had other uh, other issues, but I really want to ask Mark what, what is the sale? What are they selling on Pornhub? <laughs> it's um, they're having a milf festival and milf. 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 Yeah. What does so, uh, MLF stand for? All right. Look, can we? This is uh, Kelly Stone. You're a sex educator, a Texas politician, and a milf. And a milf. Uh, how, how, what does MLF stand for? I can't tell you. Come on. Can we? There is. Since I'd like to fuck. Well, you. This is. I'm trying to get an education. I'm I'm older than you folks, and I don't know some of this. Explain, <laughs> Kelly Stone, who got 380,000 votes this year in her race for railroad commissioner. You didn't win, but you should have. Where? In Texas. <laughs> 380,000 votes? That's phenomenal. <laughs> That's, that really is. 
And she's a comedian. We raised all of, <laughs> of thirty eight thousand uh, dollars, which included in kind. So, wow. uh, yeah, what, the, what does a railroad commissioner do? It's a great question. Nothing to do with the railroads. Uh, they control oil, gas, and pipelines in the state of Texas. So in order to fight climate change and the climate ah, crisis, we've got okay. to take See, I didn't learn what MLF is, but I learned what the railroad commissioner in Texas does. This so has been worthwhile for me already. Mom. I, we did not run. I'm sorry. Go what, tell, tell, tell them what a MILF is, please. Okay, so M-I-L-F, right? Mom, I'd like to fuck. So why is it not called M-I-L-F? Why is it called M-L-F? It is. It's on you. Ah, well, it is M-I-L-F, yeah. All right, You realize how I'm I'm, I'm taking the night of a debate and raising the quality of the conversation by leaps and bounds? Bert is an American hero. Oh, I did not run on law and order. The last time I heard the term law and order was Richard Nixon, and he, he won very effectively on the law and order. Uh, and I don't think that's going to work for Trump. Because he's the incumbent. Nixon ran as an outsider when the streets were yeah. erupting. But this is the streets are erupting. I, I also think that uh, and I, I watch I watch all the networks. I also, you know, including Fox. And I think the average Joe in the suburbs doesn't see the violence. The only place you see it basically is if you're watching Fox. So that's what the polls show. Most Americans consider law and order and crime to be an issue. But when asked about their own neighborhood, they say it's fine. Like they hate Congress, but they like their own congressperson. Yeah. Right. Um, I realize that if you were going to ask me about tonight, um, I am so biased. I realized I watched the tape of, of, uh, of my giving a talk to high school students, 500 high school students back in 2017. And when I mentioned Donald Trump, I referred to him as a monster and I started to cry. I was so upset thinking that he was our president. Uh, he is literally uh, I, I can't think of anybody in my lifetime whom I've hated more, who is more obviously evil in almost every way. It's hard to find a, a fictional character more evil. Certainly nobody in real life. And so everything I say about tonight is beyond bias. But if you, if you start off with the premise that most people uh, have decided how they're going to vote, 90, I would think at least 95% of the people, if they're real, if they're truly honest, are going to tell you they know how they're going to vote. And if you also believe that the overwhelming majority of polls, including the top polls, Mammoth, Emerson, Maris, all show uh, Biden with a, a, a decent lead of anywhere from five to nine per- points. It's hard to believe that Trump picked up any votes tonight. I agree with you. Uh, and he really had to. He showed himself for who he is. I think he was extremely angry. I think it also shows that he has a total inability to listen. Um, so that he, he, he can't listen in his job, which is a major weakness. But he couldn't listen to the moderator. He couldn't stand not to have the mic for two minutes. That's what a narcissist he is. Um, 
And I just, I just don't see that he helped himself. I think he's also desperate because uh, I don't agree with Mark in that he's looking for his next investment. This is a guy who's fighting for his life. Uh, if he loses the presidency, exactly, he will be spending the rest of his life exactly. fighting to stay out of jail. Exactly, his empire will crumble. His trophy wife will leave him. And this is a guy who will become uh, a very bad footnote. Right. Explain that. Now, you're a lawyer, correct, Bert Ross? I was a member of the bar for 45 years and never practiced law. Yes. The Biden administration won't prosecute Trump. But Letitia James will, the state attorney general of New York. Absolutely. And I'm not sure that the federal government shouldn't. But they won't. Uh, I don't think there should be. I'm not sure. If, if I were Joe Biden, I would tell the people to do whatever the law says. I would not say to a, that, that because somebody was president uh, and they committed all kinds of crimes that, that uh, it should be looked the other way. Kelly, Kelly Stone, yes. you just heard what the brilliant Burt Ross just said that Donald Trump is fighting for his life. When you read about the swing states going dark, he's not running ads in Iowa. He's not running ads in Ohio. This guy, Brad Parscale, his campaign manager who tried to commit suicide this weekend, he was fired two months ago. Brad Parscale spent a million dollars on his own social media before he was fired from the Trump campaign. These people that Trump surrounds himself with cannot help themselves. They see a billion dollars and it's that's mine that I I have to they they are looting Washington and they loot their own campaign and the saving grace will be that the Trump family will not be able to help themselves. That if this, if going into November 3rd, the election looks really tight, they won't spend the money to win. They will start taking that money and using it for their legal defenses. They've already spent something like $60 million of campaign money on their legal defenses. They are going to use that campaign money to say to their operatives, here's a couple of million for your legal defenses. Keep your effing mouth shut. Isn't that what's going to put Biden in office? This fear that I'm going to go to prison. I better spend all my campaign loot on lawyers and hush money. What's going to put Biden in office, you're right, is fear, but like not just from the Trump side, but just of all of that's what we're all voting for. Nobody's voting because they're excited about Biden. Um, We're voting for Biden out of fear of what we already know to be true, which is lies. Right. And so um, one of my favorite parts of the debate tonight was when did you guys catch when Chris Wallace yelled no at Trump like he was like a dog that was about to poop on the floor. No, (laughs) that was one of my highlights uh, of tonight. And and I hope that um, America says that on November 3rd. 
in Frank Luntz's, uh whatever his post election analysis with you know twenty swing state voters, a uh, Ruthie from Pennsylvania said that Trump was behaving like a crackhead. So hopefully that'll stick with American voters. And and who is Frank Luntz saying one? Oh, I didn't get that. I just saw the crack headline. <laughs> I like that slide there because really he's a cokehead, right? But like we have that discrepancy between crack and cocaine. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> but that's more on Joe Biden, of course. Kelly Stone, tell me about Texas. It's not going blue, is it? Oh, man, I sure I, we could get there. There's a lot of really exciting races, right, um, that are all either like neck and neck or just one point. And so, um, like, uh, Cornyn's getting a run for his money with MJ Hager. Uh, Wendy Davis uh, is going to unseat Chip Roy. Wendy Davis uh, in the sneakers, the, the one yeah. who's... The pink sneakers who, who filibustered for 12 hours on behalf of women's reproductive rights. She's yeah. going to Congress? Yeah, Royce. Oh, I thought she fl- the, the story about her was that she flamed out when she ran for governor, well, right? Well, she ran for governor, and that was real embarrassing um, because Democrats don't really know how to win. Um, <laughs> but um, she she lost pretty badly. But um, she is doing she is slaying uh, right now, uh, running for Chip Royce seat. Um, and and it, that was kind of an honor, not kind of. It was it was wonderful. The first time I met Wendy Davis was at the Women's March in 2017. And I just cried. I was holding like my plastic vagina model and I was wearing my sexy revolutionary war costume because that exists in our country. And I was just like blubbering to meet Wendy Davis. I'm sorry. Did you say something? You you said plastic vagina model and my brain brain flatlined. What what is a plastic (laughs) vagina? I mean, I can go grab it. No, don't. But why would you why would you carry a plastic vagina? Well, two things. I'm a sex educator, right? So some people are more visual in understanding like how you insert a female condom or a nuva ring or, you know, where the cervix is or, you know, all those things. So like, um, they're actually, you know, medical models that uh, drug reps usually give, um, and so I have one that it is from nuva ring. And so that's when we mark, you know, what's not fair, you know, what's not fair. You carry that? around a plastic vagina and they call you a sex educator, Jim Earl carries around a real human vagina in a mason jar, and they call him a sociopath. David, all my vaginas are made out of Bakelite. (laughs) (laughs) This is so much better a show than the normal show. (laughs) Listen, I'm carrying around a real vagina, too, and they just call me a woman. <laughs> I uh, I used a, a pla- I, I used to carry around one of those plastic vaginas, but I, when I would look at it, I would feel like you know Ted Bundy. So I um, I stopped. <laughs> I stopped. <laughs> I have to carry around. A- All right, let's keep it. I have to carry around a plastic penis because mine doesn't work. What did you, well, is it collecting $600 a week in unemployment? Hello. Hey, okay. what, uh, Donald hey, Trump. Everybody. You're very smart. It's been wonderful talking to you. Donald and, Trump uh, said he's. I have to get to, I have to get to bed. Donald Trump the says insulin. Jim, the books look great, Jim. Are you Don- talking about insulin now? He says it's coming to you like water. Well, like water at 300 bucks a vial. Like water. Yeah. Well, is that true? Insulin. You, know, you can get you can you can get real cheap insulin at uh, uh, Walmart too, but it doesn't work. So, 
Martha wanted to talk about that to you. Okay, uh, well, have her come in, and we'll take questions now from the audience. I think I want to ask Kelly Stone about what about Mike Siegel and Julie Allen? Come up, Martha. Have a chance. Oh my gosh! Yeah, they're also destroying. Um, Alan, your sound is—I don't know if it's just me or not—but uh, he asked about Mike Siegel and Julie Oliver, um, and Julie Oliver is going to unseat Roger Williams, um, and um, the founder of Rhode Island. Island, yeah, yeah, guy. I got that in my ear. I don't know that reference. I'm sorry, I feel dumb in that. In that, um, but Roger Williams is super weirdo, and Julie Oliver is amazing. Uh, and there's actually some articles that have just come out that um, the, it looks like Julie Oliver is going to do it. She ran in 2018 and came very close. And she ran a very strong campaign. And she had an amazing um, primary um, competitor, uh, Heidi Sloan, who was also endorsed by Howie Klein. And, and all, like they, they were amazing. And so Julie, Julie's incredible. Um, and Mike Siegel is like, kind of our number one Texas guy that we're like really rooting for. Um, and he is going to unseat Mike McCall. Um, so he, and he's a civil rights attorney. He's incredible. So yeah, there's some, there's some rock stars that are coming out of Texas this cycle. I'm really excited. And PDA is a big fundraiser with Mike Siegel on October 10th on the ED of PDA. So I'm going to plug this with uh, representative Jamie Raskin. I'll be there. Mike will be there and we'll support Mike nationally. Speaking of deep benches, Jamie Raskin is a is a great congressman. Yeah, very good guy. Former Nader's Raider. Amazing. Let's take some calls if anybody wants to chime in what you thought of the debate. I do see some hands raised. And Mark Breslin, let's go to Toronto, Canada. No, I was just going to say that I got to leave. But I want to say I got to leave on the eve of our national government about to pivot uh, from the COVID crisis to a national um, guaranteed income, which is what's going to come out of this. What do you mean? Um, Well, um, there was a a program called CERB um, as soon as the Trudeau instituted as soon as the um, COVID crisis came in because so many people were thrown out of work and you got $2,000 a month, no questions asked. And there were mil- there were 2 million people on it, 3 million people on it because whole industries were eviscerated. And now what's happening is they're transferring that over into another program which is being debated in parliament, but he's got the votes for it, which will basically give you $2,000 a month no matter what, no matter who you are, where you are, doesn't really matter. You're just going to get it. Now it's not a lot. You can't. Can you live on that? No, but it's it's a at yeah. least it's a start and it's a basis. You know, but it's a base to work from. You never do that. Dollars. Sorry, what? These are Canadian dollars. Yes, it's true. Which is probably only worth like what twelve cents, fifteen cents. But you know, the money goes a long way in Canada. No, seriously, so, what um, is a do- what is the exchange? About eighty five cents. Dude. It's about seventy five cents. So, so is there an argument? So they're going to make this permanent? Is there anybody arguing? Well, yeah, of course, the Conservative Party is aghast about this kind of thing because it's going to cost a lot of money. Um, but there's lots of federal reserves in Canada, and we we're not a poor country, and we can afford this, especially. You know, if we don't, as you said earlier, we don't have a military that that soaks up all that money. We don't have all these foreign incursions. So, you know, I'm just I'm not trying to make you you guys feel bad, but I'm just saying that um, you might want to start thinking about visiting Canada when the border opens again. 
That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Thank you, Mark Breslin. Okay, you're welcome. I love you. I'll see you Monday, I hope. Yes, you will. Okay. And best of luck, everybody. You need it. Thank you. Mark Breslin, the founder and president of YuckX, the largest comedy chain in North America, perhaps the world. Right. And before Mark goes, you know, actually, Trudeau, while I haven't been that happy with him as, as the head of state in many respects, he won the last election running to the left of the NDP. He they they argued for balanced budgets. He did not. He actually was one of the first uh, major you know, politicians to win an election in a major country, arguing that he could run up deficits to support progressive public policies and social spending. And he won. Surprisingly, not surprisingly is what I mean. He, uh, he beat the NDP. Well, he's a good brand. And he was the right he was the right guy to do that. Right. Got to talk right. to him about the tar sands, though. Yeah. I want to get back. I want to get back to, to tonight. Okay, thank you, Mark. Possible. You're welcome. The a couple of things. One is, um, I hope that tonight's performance by the presidents or lack thereof helps the Senate candidates because we're going to need more than a than a net of four, um, and. Because Joe Manchin's already said he wouldn't vote for increasing the size of the Supreme. So up Colorado, um, Arizona, Maine, North Carolina, and Iowa at a minimum. Because we're going to lose Alabama. Montana, too. What? Throw in Montana, too. Well, I'd I'd love it. Um, We're going to need every bit of it. the other thing is, if this election is close, where this country is really in trouble, because Trump has made it crystal clear, including tonight, that they are going to do everything possible to deter votes from being counted. And they're going to do everything to go before the Supreme Court, which he controls. Uh, and so the only way I think we survive this national crisis is to win a Florida, win an Ohio, and to win some of these states not by one or two percent. I think it's possible, and I think tonight helped tremendously. But if this gets down to an election where we're where we're, we're within a couple of percent, uh, it, it's going to be a very very bad. Uh, result, I think. Dave Wallace, I I agree with you, Bert. I mean, I was, I wasn't where you were at before Labor Day. I was really angry with Obama and Biden, but I've never seen anything like this before. This is, this is not a time to be a purist. We we have an an existential threat this guy is like Hitler. This guy is evil. And we can talk about the shortcomings of, of Biden. It, it, in comparison to this monster, those conversations are, are not helpful at this point. Let's, I can't even imagine wanting to be president now. Imagine the shape this country's in. Well, that and begs I, the question, I, I, why, why would Trump want to be president? If, oh, he needs 
Well, well but we now know why that. he's broke and he's going to jail. Well, it's, more, it's more than that. I, I could not believe when I heard a couple of years ago, people talking about ah, he, he won't run again. This is the personification of a narcissist. Right, right. And if you are a heroin addict, this is the purest, the best made because every single thing he says gets universal attention right right he can be he can take a piss at three in the morning and tweet and people the next day are talking about what he said i was reading dr maniac this is as good as it gets i was reading dr bandy lee's book about his psychiatric profile she had about 37 psychiatrists and mental health experts break the goldwater rule and analyze Donald Trump. And the consensus seems to be that it's not so much the malignant narcissism as it is the paranoia, which is probably part of the malignant narcissism. But think about how you are at your most paranoid. We all have paranoia. (laughs) Imagine his paranoia. He trusts nobody. This is what makes him so dangerous. And delusional. And delusional. I wrote a column column about him a couple of years ago, and I took the, I think it was the Mayo Clinic, and there were many characteristics of of a narcissist. And I I simply started off, I didn't say, I didn't refer to Trump. I simply said, um, I defined what narcissism is and and where it and and where it came from narcissus narcissus who uh greek mythological character who looked in the brook and and saw his reflection and fell so much in love with it he couldn't move and ultimately died so uh i then listed all the things the mayo clinic said which are the various characteristics of narcissism and i got all done and i said does this remind you of anybody and every single one was a def- was a description of Trump right on. What a cute dog. Is that a dog? Yeah. That's that's yeah, that's her daughter. I think it's I think it's ta- I thought it was tax. Scared him by making me laugh. No, his name is Seder. And I was thinking about how you Seder? didn't uh, Seder like the Jewish ordinance. Yeah. Um, and then and Yom Kippur was yesterday and you didn't have the show. And so I was like, oh, this is my this is my Jewish name, dog. Um, I, said, I thought it was S-A-T-Y-R. S-E-D-E-R. Why did you why would you name him Seder? Well, because we participated in our first Seder as a part of the coronavirus. Um, and so there was uh, several families that invited us to be included. Is that one of the <laughs> symptoms? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, according to Trump, right? like, if you're Jewish, you're definitely sick, right? Uh, no, that was terrible. That's not my words, Trump. Because um, he won't condemn white nationalism. Um, right. Uh, but no, uh, we participated in a Seder and then we, we got this guy as a part of the coronavirus. Um, the, uh, we fostered him because the animal shelter couldn't keep it because people couldn't come in. And so they were asking for fosters. And so we fostered him and we were trying to pay. I don't really want to focus on that. May I, <laughs> may I tell you that I came up with a street joke for Yom Kippur? Oh, and I sent it to Jackie, the joke man, Martling. I, 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 ever since I met Jackie, the joke man, Martling, I've been trying to write actual street jokes. 
that other people could tell because the jokes I write are not your classic street jokes. Bert, do you know why Jews love acid reflux? No, David. Why, why do Jews love acid reflux? Because they get to send the meal back. That's oh. a Jewish joke. I, David, David, I have to ask you a question. Wait a second. Nothing? Alan Minsky, no, nothing? No, it's, it's David, a fine joke. I mean, I was, I was waiting for it, though. It's, I mean, I was, it, was, it was right in the territory of what my guess was. Yeah, Isn't it about pain, about experiencing pain and, like, and, and thinking about the suffering, and, and that's what... No, it's more about complaining. It's about to complain to the waiter and get your way. I mean, you know. Alan, can you turn your volume up somehow? Oh, is this not working? Is this better? Is this better? Better. Infinitely. All right. Alan, you raised your... You know, to put the headphones on. I want to go to something Bird said. I want to keep it a little bit close to... I love the dog. The dog was so still, Kelly. I thought it was taxidermy. And you had like a stuffed dog. <laughs> so still, it was amazing. But Bird, I, I actually do disagree a little bit with one thing you said. Because everything, the point is right. We got to get this guy out. This is a catastrophe. This is a social catastrophe. Justice presidency of the first order, right? And and by the way, Bandy Lee wrote a book, and you know, this guy who's a social psychologist challenged that book, uh, saying that he didn't, she, you know, I forget it was called The Age of American Insanity. I forget the name of the author. But that book also points the finger at all of us, all of our society, how a society can get to a point that they elect someone like Trump. I mean, you put somebody in charge of society who is so transparently only about himself, Yes, really crazy. But here's what I want the issue with, with what you said is that, you know, now's not the time to criticize Biden. Now is the time to elect Biden. But I really do think we have to realize that there are all these different constituencies and it's not an insignificant constituency that is unmotivated by Biden. OK, and they're not going to be motivated by positivity but by an argument that is honest about who Biden is, and yet we still have to elect him. And I think it, when that's the case, I think there does, I think people, you know, this goes now Jim right on cue comes back because Jim is case in point, but Jim is really stubborn. We can never convince Jim to vote for Biden. But there are a lot of people, and it's not just diehard Bernie Sanders supporters, a lot of young people. They would never, ever, ever vote for Trump. They loathe Trump but they're unregistered. They need to be motivated. And they think of Joe Biden at best as a, nah, that's at best. Speaking of and people, so, speaking, hang on for one second. Hang on, you're talking about people who hate Donald Trump. Who yeah. knows more about that than First Lady Melania Trump? You wanted to chime in, First Lady <laughs> Melania Trump? Hello, Davey. Hello. Hello. No, this is, this is Martha. I was going to say that insulin would be as cheap as water if we could elect Bernie Sanders and had Medicare for all. Thank you. Thank you very much, David. That is all I wanted to say to you. Thank you, Melania. Thank you. Thank you. David, can I ask you a question? Yes, Bert Ross, American hero. Every once in a while, for reasons I can't comprehend, I looked at your, the chat that goes on. It's disgusting. With the people who are supposedly listening to this, whatever it is. Yeah, it's reprehensible. I, I looked over there and I saw a comment. And I just want to repeat it. 
because I think it really pertains to everything we've been talking about tonight. And the comment is, I like Fabergé eggs. Yes. And did I miss something in the 15 minutes that I've been yeah, on here? I can, I can chime in on that because I, I was watching because I, I don't think they're disgusting. I'm like about these comments, um, mostly because they're flattering. But um, they were talking about somebody said that their vagina was a Fabergé egg. And then people started going back and forth. So it was just it was just more, um, you know, we, we were grabbing. Uh, this debate by the Fabergé egg tonight uh, in this okay. discussion. I, I clearly miss all the good stuff, but that's all right. <laughs> what are you drinking, Kelly Stone? A lot of it. A whole of it. Of wine. Um, what, what do you have? What, are you, what kind of wine are you drinking? So, uh, like, this is um, steak and potatoes, Cab Cab 2018. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's just what my favorite person was able to find. Um, I had some booze left on my doorstep, like you do when you're multitasking, like a working woman who's got to be all up in the politics, you know? <laughs> you were, it was abandoned. And, and uh, may I ask the commish if she's drinking anything tonight? Yes. Akiyoshi Chardonnay. I think it's from Lodi area. 2018, nice, dry, very forward apricot flavors, and uh, with a little buttery, uh, you know, sort of undertones. Very, very nice. Why are you <laughs> called the Why is Mary Ann called the commish? Because, like you, she is an elected official. She's mm-hmm. the. She's on the. She's not the railroad commissioner also. She's the uh, parks wish. commissioner. She's a parks commissioner of Aurora, yeah. Illinois. I live in Aurora, Illinois. It's actually the Fox Valley Park District. It's the largest park district in Illinois outside of Chicago. Huh. And she's a physics professor, Bert. Oh, Jesus Christ. And she was talking to Katie Halper earlier. I was like, hi, I'm Kelly Stone. I did not come from Katie Halper's show. And I'm here in my No, no, it's just, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I was just lo- looking at their uh, comments. <laughs> oh, you weren't a guest? You weren't a guest on that show? No, no, I was invited to be on the Zoom, which was not a panel, but, you know, just kind of like this. Yeah, they do the drinking game. Yeah, they. Uh, I, 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 I cautioned everybody, like, you know, keep slow it down, you know, don't go nuts. I came into this very intimidated. I was like, whoa, like that's some high caliber, like commentary. Uh, she got to uh, Well, I have to say, they weren't drinking as much as they were during the Republican uh, uh, convention. They uh, were kind of like a little ragged toward the end there. <laughs> and what is it? needed to slow down earlier. Now, are we depressed about tonight? I, I was anxious before. Not anymore. I'm sorry? Not anymore. I mean, I, I'm glad it was very depressing. The whole thing is really depressing. But there is some magic that happens when you kind of interact with people, especially with people like, you know, that give me a lot of shit in the chat about some stuff. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great. You know, you feel was, your, was your heart pounding? My heart was pounding before the debate started. I couldn't figure out if it was my narcissism because we're doing 
this watch party and then a live oh. show on YouTube or the country was coming to an end. I couldn't figure <laughs> out. I'm being serious. Is this me? Am I w- worried about the show or the country? I'm worried about the show. And, you know, I do. I know that feeling very well. I really was suicidally depressed for good part of the early 80s with, when, after Reagan got elected. I literally thought this planet has about two years maximum because these guys are really determined to have nuclear war. And some of them were, but, you know, um, we survived that. But I always felt that that was the hard, very hard. We were talking about inflection points uh, last time. It's very hard to know if you're in one when you're in one. But I pretty much thought the uh, big inflection, looking back almost 40 years, Reagan getting elected was a shock. I mean, it was, and, and there were just a lot of U-turns on things we just thought were naturally mm-hmm. progressing. Mm-hmm. It became a right to be racist, as we discussed before. There were a right. lot of things that suddenly, whoa, I mean, it was like, guess history isn't over yet. You know, it's, it was very hard. Alan Minsky, and, what, do you, what are you afraid of most if Trump wins? Oh, I mean, if Trump wins? I mean, isn't it conceivable? Let me just play the part of the Pollyanna. Second terms, you're a lame duck the minute you're inaugurated again, that your party abandons you because of ambition and there's nothing you can accomplish. Here's the thing. Look, I haven't really, as as the head of PDA and everything, we've pretty much been planning for a Trump defeat, a Trump uh, victory, uh, you know, something that's an honest victory where he wins in the electoral college, you know, maybe he still loses the popular vote. seems almost impossible to imagine him winning the popular vote. Um, and by the way, the whole thing this evening, as you know, I, I was pretty dire when I came on. I have to say the CNN poll, um, you know, I'm very weary of all the information that comes out of the media. This week that they can actually get an honest poll done at CNN around the figure of Donald Trump. But I'm assuming there's some pretty decent uh, organization to the poll. It's 60 to 28 that Biden won that debate. I don't think anybody really thinks Biden won the debate. Yeah. Alan, they preface the results of that by saying that there were many more Democrats See what took the poll than Republicans. So he still won, right. but I wouldn't use the 6028 right. as, yeah. as a true. Yeah, yeah and, and then and they also the tweet I saw about it said that Hillary had actually won 62 to 28 on the first oh, poll they took on the first debate last time. So that tells you something. Well, it's the same audience. Yeah, if Trump and Trump, of course, after four years, CNN is attracting fewer and fewer Trump supporters or Republicans of any ilk because it's also siloed at this point. But I think if Trump wins, you know, obviously, you know, we'll pivot very quickly to uh, the the progressive left aggressively. I think trying to take over the Democratic Party as a as a as a you know just an overtly failed political and the whole things I was saying about neoliberalism at the top of the show. And really demand that this become, you know, an anti-fossil fuel party, the Bernie Sanders party, because it actually has certainly support among younger Americans and it actually responds to the needs of the party. And that neoliberalism, the Democratic moderates, it's just an exhausted dead ideology that can't attract anything. Now, I think that anyway, and I want Joe Biden to win and we'll try to move that way if Biden wins. But that's what we'll do as a political formation, if you're asking. But I don't want to have that happen. I think Donald Trump winning a re-election 
will be a moment of tremendous international despair. I think it will be a very, um, you know, almost like like climate change. Bernie describes it as is an existential crisis. I think Trump's re-election will signify an existential crisis for humanity. And really, E.J. Dion, as a, no, I'm not the hugest fan of, has a very decent central thesis to his new book, which is that the Democratic Party, for the sake of the planet, needs 10 to 12 years of power in Washington, D.C. And he even adds, with the progressive agenda being increasingly adopted by the Dem- that Democratic Party, why? Because we are burning ourselves off the planet. Trump being reelected says to the whole world, the United States of America, we're just going to, you know, eat, drink, be merry because we're all going to fucking fry ourselves off the planet right away as fast as we fucking can. It'll be a big thumbs up to Modi, to Bolsonaro, to Duterte, to the Eastern European dictators, to the fascist far right in Europe. Trump is the figurehead of that international political tendency. And it's dire if the fucker wins. So, so why is he? Why is he? Why did it get to this point? Who who is behind him? I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, I was listening to NPR today, analyzing, you know, the, the tax returns and all that. And his him being on The Apprentice was the best that he did financially so successful for him and that's and so really here's how i'm going to turn this into black lives matter but um i blame cops (laughs) because it is the longest running reality tv show and because of the way that we've been socialized to want to see just trash right and that that's what is like doing well in the ratings and he was able to get so much money and and so I blame reality TV people talk about the media well you know it's a part of the media television Clint Eastwood Clint Eastwood Dirty Harry don't say a bad word about Clint oh don't say don't put that don't put Clint in there oh talking to that empty chair David you're a comedian anybody who can do a routine with an empty chair even though it failed that's correct. That's <laughs> he brainwashed. Go watch Dirty. Go watch Dirty Harry. He brainwashed an entire generation of Reagan Democrats to f- say the hell with the Constitution. The police are mopping up a dirty city. F. Clint Eastwood. How about what's his, the guy who did it much more? Who who was the guy? What? John Wayne. No, the guy. Um, he was. A, he actually, I think, was originally a coal miner. He was an actor in all those revenge movies. Oh yeah, Chuck, uh, Bronson. Yeah, Charles, Charles Bronson. Bronson. He he made uh, Clint Eastwood look like he was a constitutionalist. I mean, yeah, Vince. Vince, unmute yourself, Vince. Vince in Florida. I I don't even know what to say other than I feel like. Uh, uh, Trump won tonight, um, but you know, how? How did he win? Um, I think that uh, everything I saw tonight, uh, he won. I mean, uh, I mean, maybe I'm talking to people that are in the the leftist bubble, um, but as far as I'm concerned. Um, he, he he won. 
Um, I know that people are, you know, outraged by what the things that he says, but uh, I'm sorry to say. But um, so you're saying he won. But you're not watching it through your eyes. You're watching it through whose eyes? Oh, through his followers' eyes. Yeah. Yeah, but it's hard. But go ahead, Alan. I I mean, you know, I'm a a leftist and, 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 and a Trump's land. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, Joe Biden didn't win shit. Nobody can sit there and watch that thing and say Joe Biden won that. I agree. Also, Joe Biden. I agree. Joe Biden. Joe Biden is less. You know, he just was a pathetic guy getting run around and trounced and and talked over and wasn't able to stand up for himself or make extended coherent points uh, because Trump was dominating him and Trump was such a bully and such a chaotic insane narcissistic bully that he was horrible horrible so yeah i'll take biden over him but biden i mean that was a horrible performance by biden by any standard measure of debate but how do you go to oxford debate the guy was wretched i don't agree with that i want to go back to i watched the commentators after and i watched cnn santorum former senator santorum who is absolutely to the right yeah, I and, saw the exchange too. He yeah. was very critical of Trump's performance. Of course, he that, said, I agree. He yeah, said agree. specifically that if he were a Senate candidate, a Republican Senate candidate, uh, he would be outraged by Trump's performance. I turned on Fox, but and Trump Rick, is not Rick, the normal. Rick Hume who is a loyalist, you know, to the right, said it was a mixed bag. Well, when Brit Hume says it's a mixed bag, it means Trump got beaten badly. No, Trump got beaten badly. So. I agree with but you. You're coming from like, the last Sarah Barber. Go ahead, <laughs> That's all. <laughs> you know who got beaten badly tonight was America. America. Um. <laughs> Vince... Uh, how would you yeah. debate? How, are you still there? Yes. How would you debate Trump? I mean, nobody can. You watched him debate in the Republican primaries. Yes. Yes. You can't debate him because it's not a debate. You're, you're absolutely correct. I mean, it's um, it's it's very <laughs> difficult. I, I thought mean. Biden. I thought he was going to mop the floor with Biden. Granted, he needed Wallace's help. But uh, Biden needed Wallace to come and protect him. Bernie would have crushed him. But he would have lost. Right now, now, three in the morning or whatever it is in the East, Donald Trump is on the phone with Murdoch demanding that Chris Wallace be fired. That's true. Agree with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why, when I say something, don't I get applause? Bert, they're applauding the idea of you not getting applause. They're not applauding you. They're applauding the fact that. <laughs> Alan, how you're you are the executive director of PDA, Progressive Democrats of America. Kelly Stone is going to be a presidential candidate. Marianne Cummings, Professor Marianne Cummings is going to be a presidential candidate. They're going to debate. Don Jr., who's going to employ the <laughs> same. Ivanka. I think Ivanka. And they're going to employ Donald Trump and Ivanka. They're going to 
employ the same tactics as the father did. Yeah, that would be How do you, yeah. So what advice do you give a candidate? How do you debate somebody like Donald Trump? I don't think it's possible. Thank you. No, you take all of their attacks and turn it into a shield. You know, I could have just imagined uh, Bernie Sanders up there. And the instant that, uh, that uh, Trump starts calling him crazy Bernie, he says, damn right, I'm crazy. I'm going to drive you crazy. He would stand. He would stand firm on his. And he would just. He would. Uh, he 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 would trumpet the fact that he is for democratic socialism, that he is for free education, Medicare for all, Green New Deal. Biden, you know, and all these uh, the corporatist Dems, they have to kind of pussyfoot around that issue. One camp with the Republicans, and one camp kind of with the liberals. That was uh, John Kerry's big problem. When you have to straddle these two things and you can't firmly stand someplace, you have a problem with somebody like Donald Trump. I remember watching Kerry debate George W. Bush. Kerry was a prosecutor and he prosecuted George W. Bush and the case against the invasion of Iraq. I remember watching that debate thinking, that's one of the greatest debate performances I've ever seen a candidate achieve. John Kerry. Well, wait till next week when Kamala takes on Pence, yo. Yeah. <laughs> I would say if there's a winner tonight, it probably I'm sorry, you're Kamala. talking over Kelly's. The audience loves yeah, it. I, I would say Kamala was the winner tonight. Because she'll have an opportunity to make a cogent case. But it may not. But what I'm saying is just because you win the debate doesn't mean you won the election. That it may. It could bite you in the ass. In other words, you know, Kamala might (laughs) prosecute Pence the way Kerry did. It may turn off a certain segment of the electorate. She'll come off as snobby or showing off. Like there's so negative things that people will say to that. And I wanted to comment to what Marianne just said about like Biden would have done better if, if he were truthful about his values because we don't fully know what they are because he's trying to teeter totter and pander to the left and pander to the right. So that's why he's like, I have the Biden plan, not green new deal. That's I'm not going to say Medicare for all. And then he says green new deal. And then Mike Wallace has to come in and correct him. You know, it's It's not Mike Wallace. It's George Wallace, the governor of Alabama. (laughs) Correct you. It's Rashid Wallace, Portland Trailblazer. Oh, I apologize. Let's let's uh, let's <laughs> ask David, Professor David. Salt. We have a physicist. I, I was just I was I wanted to ask the. Well, let me introduce. Let's let's ask yeah. Professor yeah. Saul, who's a we have two physicists now, Professor Marianne Cummings and oh. Professor Saul, two physicists here. We, we actually know each other from way, way, way back. Why can't you? you why can't physicists figure out a way to defeat Trump? Wrong profession. This is this is a, this is a job for comedians. That's what that's what I was going to say. Is it isn't Trump being exactly like a heckler? He's just shouting out some random question with a false premise and then interrupting the first sentence of the answer and repeating. So no, so, no, he's a bad lover. He's every fight you've gotten into with somebody who won't let go of the fact that you flirted 
with somebody at the Christmas party. That's a great summer. And uh, Saul, I saw your comment yeah. or your question in there about heckling. And no, because a heckler at that level would have been kicked out for sure. Like they would not have been allowed to do that first and foremost. But um, what he was doing reminded me not of comedy, but when my first job out of college, I worked at a mental health uh, facility in Interjection. <laughs> Uh, we had we had to do um, we had to figure out what it would be like interviewing a schizophrenic person. And so somebody had to sit in a chair and answer interview questions while two others of us stood over their shoulders and talked in their ears like voices that they would hear. And it was really fun for me because I just got to say whatever I wanted. And I was like, nah, 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 nah. and the person couldn't answer like they couldn't sit through the interview and do it. And so it was an educational opportunity. And when Trump was doing that tonight I 100% was like he's doing what I did when I was pretending to be the voice of a schizophrenic um, person have you ever got <laughs> Professor Saul have you ever gotten into a debate with somebody who wasn't home where it's just you know rage the eyes it's like the no sales sign and they'll come at you with everything and they don't know what they want other than to sabotage the conversation that's who Trump uh, is. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Well, I've never been... got into arguments with me. You know. <laughs> yeah, That's very similar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I've never been trapped in a situation where I have to argue with somebody who's being like that for an hour and a half. It's a very different, difficult situation. I was rather impressed that he held it together. That he was, that he had, you know, I think Alan was right at the beginning. He looked weak, but that was because he could not speak a sentence without being interrupted. And, um, you know, Trump was doing his, his, his over, over talking everything and random question technique. But later on, basically, when Chris Wallace forced Trump to be quiet for most of his two minutes, he did much better. He came out with some, some you know coherent statements he was um you know i i think he did well i think he did well enough and um i'm hoping that people will you know think that he comes off as as a you know as kind of a adorable grandpa um not you know uncle joe is his is his persona and i'm hoping hoping that's going to work in answer to your in answer yeah. to your original question, Professor Saul, and then we'll Alan, you can chime in. Mm-hmm. But Kelly, mm-hmm. Professor Saul asked for a comedian's perspective. <laughs> I can re- I can, and Kelly is a, a very funny comedian. I can remember working with some friends who were doing television for the first time. And I said to them, You're gonna step out there and you're gonna be distracted. You're going to be distracted. You're going to see things you've never seen before as a comedian. You're going to see cameras. You're going to see a studio audience that isn't like a club audience. The lights, you're going to start noticing things and you're going to get distracted and you're not going to stay in the moment. And I would say, do your act for me. And while they did their act for me, I would talk over their act and I would distract them and do everything I could to just stay in the moment, deliver your act, no matter. I would throw things at them and uh, sleep with their wives. 
kites and checks. I didn't know. But and they thanked me because they were prepared to be thoroughly distracted. I think somebody must have worked with Biden that way, because I thought he I thought it was miraculous the way he was able to stay focused, hear a couple of Trump's comments in his ear and respond to them, but stay on track and speak to the American people. I thought I'm not a fan of Biden. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's very, very impressive because what Trump says is very, very distracting and also totally incoherent and also with sprinkled in with, you know, every, every sentence has three false premises in it. Right. So <laughs> it's un it's unrespondable to and well, that, very difficult. That sort of limited mental bandwidth might actually be an advantage. And is there made Sorry for being the bad guy. You're talking about- no, I, I, I don't know what I don't know what debate David was watching. If he saw, I thought Biden was knocked off of his points readily and frequently, and unable to pick back up and thread yeah. it back together. Um, you know, but I, I, you know, here's the thing: I also thought about Biden. I think this also shows a bit of a change of subject, but relevant. If Biden wins, let's hope he still does. You know, I, I think it's fair to say that who he puts in his administration into, you know, to be the head of uh, this department and that department is going to be of excess importance because this is going to be a president like Reagan and like Bush, where the hands on uh, job of governing is not going to be done by the, the president. Um, he's in these I would take it even further than that. I don't think he's. In a way, he's going to be the author of his presidency. In a way, it's really going to be his key advisors that are going to make the presidency. Um, well, if his transition team is any indication, that's not a good sign. No. He's got two Republicans on his transition team. Yes. No Bernie Sanders supporters. Right. I felt like with the Trump and the interruptions and the constant, like, and, and I felt like Trump was definitely coached, like, just fuck with them, get in his head, fuck yeah. with him, grab it out, do it. And tonight was the first time really listening to Biden speak and watching him where I felt empathetic and I was rooting for him because I'd never felt more conscious of the fact that he was a stutterer. And so not only was he trying to block that out, but in collecting himself to even have those pauses to speak, like I felt he was endeared to me tonight in that way because I... I wasn't mad at him about all the other things I'm mad at him about. Like it just the, the, the physics or the, the audio of, of what was taking place, like from a human perspective Absolutely. and in speaking, I was really rooting for him. It was a Cinderella yeah. story. I said that earlier in that you, you, you hear the story of how he was mocked as a child, how bullies taunted him for stuttering. And here he is on the important night of his life going up against all those bullies from second grade. And I thought he he was an inspiration. I loathe Joe Biden. I'm voting for him. But that was the well, Joe his Biden. PR team did the job, didn't they? I'm sorry? His PR team did the job. Look, I've been listening to Biden for like, what? 43, 33 years at least since the, since the 80s. I never heard him stutter. That was something he got over. His problem now is not stuttering. 
Yes. Well, no, it's something else. Maybe. Wife, but, yeah, okay. Uh, you know, he's, he, uh, Joan, my wife. I'm sorry. I thought you were done, Marion. No, that's right. Go ahead. Tell Joan I went to Dwightmara High School today and the arrows are still up. She'll know what I mean. Go ahead. My my wife pointed out that uh, women uh, will be much more upset by Trump's interruption than men. I'm starting to be ashamed of being a man. I mean, we're ashamed you're a man, too, Bert. Thank you. By the way, this is my hero. This is my I, hero, I, Bert. I gather. Go ahead, Bert. I think. Look, the, even if Joe wins, we have the reality that forty-five or forty-seven percent of this country voted for a monster, uh, and I sure wouldn't want to be president uh, with a country that divided. Uh, with the problems that we're confronting between the virus and the economy and, and climate uh, change, et cetera. It, it's just, uh, uh, I don't think any human being can handle it. I think Alan's right. He's going to have to pick dramatically good people. Um, this is an administration that's going to be challenged big time. This country's been. He was asked. He's been asked to. He's been asked to divest his advisors, his advisory group of fossil fuel, and he won't do it. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what he does before an election, what he does after an election. Um, I'm not sure that what somebody does before is necessarily what they do after. he is trying desperately not to lose Ohio and Pennsylvania by talking about fracking. He, he and, and his running mate both made it clear they weren't going to address the issue of expanding the court. Uh, she was asked point blank, and uh, she just punted. Uh, uh, and they've got to be careful. They, they're, you know, they're, you, you, you've got to win to govern. So it's they're they're not in a, I I don't envy their, their position that they have at all. Zachary, where are you calling from? Canada? Um, I'm I'm calling up here in uh, Canada. You have an attic for us? <laughs> an attic? Yeah. Uh, well, I was uh, just going to be saying that, like, I personally find that um, a lot of people really don't actually like like care about many of the debates like that's what i've tended to find uh when i actually like i've actually done political work and canvassed and talked to people on doors they never really care about debates in in a generally like measured way what they do care about what i have noticed when i talk to people and i think that this is the same for americans is like they'll care about like two or three major policy issues that really impact their like lives like for up here in the last election it was like something like pharmacare like something like that was like a big thing that people actually cared about and like the one thing that worries me about biden is i don't know any of his policies he doesn't say any of his policies he doesn't go out and say it i was looking for that in the debate 
where he was like saying like this is explicitly my policy and he, to improve americans lives and i didn't hear it he's one, running on competence i mean what do you, you, you know say, he's right zachary he's running on competence that's what he's running but that's not yeah. enough for most people like that doesn't that doesn't inspire a lot of people because like there's this idea that there's like this wide swath of americans that are in the center i don't believe that personally i think that the biggest uh voting block that biden needs to go is non-voters people who don't vote so you need to end that and what is that what is like non-voters it's not people in the middle it's people actually most likely who are on the left people who are uninspired who don't see who don't see that that politicians speak to their material conditions but that's a bedtime story i don't mean to interrupt you but that's a bedtime story we on the left told ourselves, and bernie proved to us i think alan didn't bernie prove to us that those people who don't vote don't vote no matter who's running our elections are decided by (laughs) non-voters like that's yeah that's the biggest population of our voters quota is non-voters i think i think bernie's electoral fate is really you know what what was pulled on him in the whole thing of the party unit he he was when nevada happened and he went one i had been critical of the campaign i was in iowa and it was sad to see him lose half his vote from 2016 to 2020 and i came out of iowa not crushed by the result because bernie had gotten more votes than anybody else but i was depressed and then after he, the vans, he won like, the popular vote, but he lost the caucus to Buttigieg. The caucus was never really well, By the way, yeah. he didn't oh. lose the caucus either. The right. AP refused to call it because right. of the mistakes that they saw. So, right. but they, but the fuckery was effective. From well, but the, the thing, the thing was, at Nevada, he was closer to winning the nomination than he ever was in 2016. And I, for a few days, thought, "Wow, Weaver and Bernie, props! You guys are geniuses." You recognize that if you pulled this constituency that was tighter and smaller when there were 23 fucking candidates, that was the way to defeat this crowd. And I think he was going to the nominations until they pulled this bullshit out of their asses and consolidated. Whenever has a candidate who was in running strong second off results like Buttigieg dropped out and became an obsequious lapdog to the party elders? And that had never happened in American politics before. He had done better than Biden than Biden, certainly until South Carolina. Biden had done terrible. He was crushed in Iowa and New Hampshire. So they, they, they that defeat is a really weird one. And then in 2016, people certainly came out. But I think he ran a more narrow campaign in some respects. He, I think they realized that the part the, the field was going to be split. So they were just trying to get out in front of the pack and then expand the message. And then COVID happened this crazy consolidation in COVID. So I think the Bernie campaign in 2020 is going to be very hard to assess, but I agree. They thought they'd get more turnout from youth. There was a lot of confusion and Elizabeth Warren was running and she basically did everything she could to divide. Yes. Quote unquote progressive vote. Yes. And sabotage Bernie's campaign. I agree and, with you a hundred percent. And you know, if, if the if things had been switched, if Bernie had come in third, third, fourth, and fifth in the first four uh, primaries, and Elizabeth Warren was first and second, he would have dropped out and consolidated behind her. Oh, I agree with that 100%, but I do want to say this, and it's not a defense of Elizabeth Warren because I largely agree, but I do think it's quite possible 
that she had gotten the message that the Democratic Party establishment was going to do anything they could do to block Bernie Sanders. Well, that's exactly what happens. And so that is what we called a rigged election. All right. You know, yeah. well, and that's why I mean, even in Texas, the Democrats have sued to get the Green Party off the ballot. Right. And so, like, we're supposed to. Uh, I mean, yeah. rigged election. Look, um, there, the American electoral system is fucked. The money in politics is fucked. Rigged. But had Bernie won with 40 percent of the vote uh, in enough of those early states. Yeah, I think he would have run away with the nomination. He did have a chance to win. It's like it's not like they didn't hold the elections. You know, if you're scared, let me ask, let me ask you a question. If the goal, if the goal, maybe it isn't the goal, but if the goal is to defeat Donald Trump, do you truly believe, uh, if you look at the situation now, that Bernie Sanders would have been better than Donald Trump? I was just going to yes. ask that question. Well, he would have crushed yes. him tonight. Yes. And, and I, I don't, I, obviously it's impossible to know definitively, um, but I, I don't share that opinion. It would have been a Pyrrhic victory. He would have mopped the floor with Trump, but... People would have thought he's just like Trump. I, I look. Yeah, I, I don't disagree that the part of the problem here is that is that the sense that the population would be led to believe by the Financial Times, the Wall Street Journals. I think a certain they would have consolidated behind Trump pre-COVID. Yeah. Post-COVID, you know, I think I also think a Sanders campaign would produce much more honest analysis of the COVID crisis than anything we're getting anywhere in society. In fact, the Bernie Sanders campaign in 2016 and 2020 provided more honest analysis of American society than we've almost heard in the entirety of the 21st century from American media anywhere. In fact, he even spawned a unique sort of ecosystem of, of alternative media starting to reach a mass audience like the David Feldman show. Uh, but, but with, with a view, with a viewership, excuse me, Bert. Yeah, Bert's gonna. Yeah. What did you say, Bert? Uh, no, it, it still gets back to who would have had a better chance of beating Donald Trump. The other thing that I just want to say in, in is the two leading candidates, Joe Biden. And Bernie Sanders. I mean, try to wrap your hands around the fact right. that Joe Biden is the younger. <laughs> yeah, but Bernie's a lot better. Hell of a lot better shape. Bernie, Bernie Sanders had a heart attack. I'm 77, and I'm pretty. I'm in pretty good shape. Maybe my mind isn't great because it never was. But <laughs> it seems to me that I can't do today what I could have done five or 10 years ago. Uh, my stamina isn't as, as good. Uh, I don't handle tremendous stress as much. Maybe you should run for president then. Thank you. George, George Washington went back to Mount Vernon. I think he was 65 or 66. And they wanted him to run again for a third term. And he said, no, I'm, this is not uh, a position for somebody my age. And he died a year later. And I just really think that we need to start coming up with candidates 
uh, who are younger than than their late seventies. I really well, do. Yeah, well, Bernie, don't forget, Bernie was a baby boomer, and um, you know, I'm I'm roughly David's age. Maybe David has a couple years on me. Gen Xers, um, and I went to one of those elite schools and stuff. Nobody, but nobody, considered in my generation to go into politics. We considered politicians to have, you know, it was just was this realm of sort of sleazy, smarmy, fake people. Um, and nobody I knew got into it in the, in Gen X. So there's this huge gap of, um, of an absent generation from, uh, American political engagement. But now we see in AOC's generation, thanks, I think to the Bernie Sanders campaign, we actually have people who are Kelly Stone, of course, uh, <laughs> are gonna get involved and participate in this. But I think there's a, a big gap of people who are, you know, not just sort of lapdogs to wall street type of people. I'd like to speak from that gap generation because Nirvana clearly influenced us a little too hard um, mm-hmm. because I was too old to be supported by organizations that supported AOC. I'm too old for run for something. Justice Democrats, New Congress, all of those things. I couldn't get that support because I was 41 years old running. So I'm, I'm too old. And then, but in all the other circles of politics, I'm too fucking young. Wait your turn. Run for run for school board. Do this. Sit down. Shut up. Know your place, little girl. And so it was either I was too young or I was too old. And I and when I looked at what our representation looks like, there are so few on any level from my generation in any position, right. locally, nationally, all of that stuff. And so back to Zachary's point is if we had an automatic voter registration system, like everyone is registered to vote, it's opt out, it should be opt out, and that's the same with sex ed, it should be opt out, not opt in, Um, and we had a culture of knowing that our voice and not having to fight for our right to vote and fight and every little thing, then we would be in a position where we wouldn't have Burt Ross saying the goal is to defeat Trump. Like, cause to me, like, that's not the goal. The goal is to do so many other things. Um, And that's why I think Bernie would win because ooh, if that's our bar is to defeat Trump, I'm real sad. And I wanted to say earlier, I wasn't drinking cause I was sad. I was drinking cause I like to have fun. Um, But yeah, that makes me sad. Kelly, how can you get anything done? that you want if you don't first get rid of Trump. No, I hear you. That's like step one, where we currently are. Yeah. Uh, But that's just baby stuff. Well, I don't think it's baby stuff when you have an existential threat to our democracy. I don't think it's baby steps at, at all. I think this is a moment where everybody who's sane has to get together and say, we'll talk about things afterwards. We need to get rid of this guy. And okay, Bert, uh, I'm going to, that. I want to pose something to you. So we get, so Biden manages to get into the White House and his cabinet looks kind of like his current transition team, not good. And they, they're already talking austerity, by the way. They're talking about concern about the deficit. It, you know, exactly the opposite what Stephanie Kelton and all those people think we should be doing. 
And of course, things don't get better for us. They get worse for the average person. And from 2022, uh, the Republicans come back in power. And 2024, we get Tom Cotton. Oh, God. Yes. Oi. Try to be the bad guy. But what I'm saying is that we, we <laughs> have to, I mean, the, repo, the, the progressives have to learn how to be a lot more ruthless than we currently are collectively. Can I get a number? I'm not disagreeing, I'm not disagreeing with that. Uh, look, one of the great things we should do is the minute we get power, we should start doing exactly what Kelly was talking about. Try to make it easier for the opposite of what the Republicans have been doing. Make it easier to vote. But we don't have power. If Biden gets elected, progressives probably have less power. And they are not, not in bed. The establishment Dems aren't interested at all at all with with increasing the votes. Bert, you were a Bernie supporter, correct? Against Hillary Clinton, yes, not against Biden. And I didn't and my vote for Biden was was only because I thought he had a much better chance of beating Trump. Okay. If I could have if I felt that uh, Biden uh, that uh, Bernie had a better chance, I would have gone with Bernie. Alan Minsky, Professor Marianne Cummings, we hear about the left. How big is the left in this country? Do we know Alan Minsky? Well, I mean, you know, it's it's hard to tell. It's an amorphous consideration. Uh, so when Donald Trump said tonight, you lost, you lost the left, Joe, you mm-hmm. just lost the left. How big are we? Do, oh, you're you're not right. even you're the you're with the PDA. You're the Progressive you know, Democrats uh, of America. Yeah, well, it's a paradox, and a lot of it goes to the logic of what Bert said, because you got polls in states where Bernie Sanders got zero delegates, where the the exit polls, and there's no reason to because there've been later polls on this uh, that showed overwhelming support for Medicare for all. Uh, so for Bernie's position on the t- and that was the top issue among the electorate. So Mississippi had majority support for it. Bernie got like eight, 16% support in Mississippi. Biden got like 16%. But I'm talking about yeah. tribes, you know, tribes. Well, I mean, you know. The, 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 we, we break right. politics for better or worse. The reality is that mm-hmm. it's tribes. And... Um, what? How big is party, the Democratic Party split? I think, how big is our tribe? How big is the uh, left? I think that I think that the, among the voting public, I now think that the majority of the Democratic Party voter would agree with progressive policies. I do think there is some fear of the way the business would react to a really strong uh, progressive agenda, and not just a matter of getting it through Congress, but that it just would create a rupture. And it would be uneasy politically and economically, and people are a little fearful of that. Having said that, um, and that Bernie maybe was somebody who they didn't think the business community was in any way going to get behind. After all, in the United States of America, almost all essential resources are owned by, by private corporations, right? They're not owned by any kind of collective enterprise, the government or anything. So how business would respond to, you know, stronger labor rights and uh, the larger social expenditures, more, you know, progressive uh, deficit spending. That's something of a political calculation. I think people are a little weary of it. 
Uh, but we have to convince them not to be fearful of it. And I also think we have to go in. We have to try to get more confidence for a progressive agenda from the business community. Obviously, there are ways to make that argument. I don't think anybody's talking about you know anything other than a free market, you know, general free market economy. So it's important to get that kind of buy-in. Um, but you know, it's it's all it's all a question still on who the candidate is with the progressive left. But no, I think the Democratic Party, the majority of the Democratic Party, does not support when they're laid out neoliberal policies over progressive policy. I, I agree. And the problem is you have you have people you have people like the Clintons and the Obamas who are selling neoliberal policy Most as progressive. Don't, don't even know that they're neoliberal or even right. understand what it is. But basically, look, the Clintons and before Bird speaks, and I don't know if Bird agrees with this, Joe Biden um, is, is a really conservative figure when it comes to political economy over the course of his career. This guy was a lapdog to the credit card companies from the state of Delaware. He was an essential wedge in the deregulation of Wall Street. Um, you know, everything that they wanted that Clinton got through, Biden was right there with them all along. People thought Obama wasn't going to be that way. And he brought in the same people from Goldman Sachs. And by the way, the left wing of the Trump administration is Steve Mnuchin. He's almost identical to the people who would run the Treasury and the Fed under a Joe Biden administration. And as far as the powers that be in the wealth and the society, those are their central political concerns. The public isn't even a cognizant of it in a voting cycle. And yet that's the most powerful component of the domestic American economy. Yeah. People in this country constantly vote against their own self-interest. Right. The fact that there are that Trump seems to be doing fairly well with the Latino community is mind-boggling. Going back to Bernie Sanders, my recollection... Hang on for one second. I have to mute everybody because there's weird sounds. So unmute yourself, but check yourself. Make sure you're not... There's no feedback. Go ahead, Bert. Bert was still saying my favorite phrase, going back to Bernie Sanders. Sorry, go ahead. Yes. My recollection is that when he went to South Carolina, that was the beginning of the end of Bernie Sanders and the African-American community, which is a huge uh, part of the Democratic Party, of overwhelmingly went for Joe Biden. And that to me was was basically the, the end. So the. The progressive policies, which would have helped the African-American community, didn't matter enough because they didn't vote in their own interest. Well, they don't don't throw their vote away. They're like you, Bert. This is what I read. You are a Bernie supporter. But in 2016, you didn't want to throw your vote away. No, Afri- excuse me for one second. And what I've read, and I hang on for one second. My understanding among the black, my understanding of among the African American community is they are also terrified of Trump. They value their vote more than anybody else, and they're not going to throw it away on a pipe dream like Bernie Sanders. They're going to. I don't. I don't agree with that analysis. Forgive me. Uh, I believe that the 
uh, leaders like uh, Clyde, Clyburn mm-hmm. uh, were had a history with with Biden. Were close to Biden, and they and John are, Lewis and John Lewis and, and, and others, and they felt comfortable with Biden. They did not feel comfortable with Bernie, um, and I think that's what happened. You know, I mean, I said at one point a few minutes ago that, you know, it does also depend on who the standard bearer is. And I think Bernie was a great standard bearer and icebreaker. I think a lot of people wonder if Bernie thought in terms of his quick capitulation this time that uh, he he didn't feel that the progressive left was strong enough really to win and govern and effectively achieve its agenda. Um, but that's speculation, trying to read his mind. Um, but um uh, you know, they're, 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 Bernie definitely, you know, the Clintons are tough. And when the Clintons signal to their allies that they don't like somebody, they're pretty savage. And they were able to spin some really hardcore anti-Bernie Sanders messaging that uh, had traction among portions of the public that, you know, obviously those of us who are big Bernie Sanders supporter, we really bristled at those things because we saw them was completely untrue. But those definitely free-floated. I mean, that he was a sexist and all this stuff, mm. you know, there's no grounds for that in his public record. Would Trump, somebody, okay. the, there's some kind of feedback here. Hang on for one second. Yeah, and I should go in a minute. Okay. He is the greatest. And thank you. This was a, like a great therapy session for me. I, Marianne Cummings, you, you remain the senior attendee here with uh, with David, you <laughs> yeah, got more stamina than me. Alan Minsky is the executive Director of Progressive Democrats of America. And I'll talk to you next week or maybe Thursday. Yep. Let's okay. talk soon, David. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you all. Thank you, David. You're, ta- you're, talking over, you're talking over Alan's applause. Oh, I thought they were over. Uh, it's 11 o'clock my time. I know it's 2 o'clock your time, but 11 o'clock for an old man is... Outright. I'm going to. I love you, Bert Ross. We're going to wrap it up. Bye, Bert. Be well, guys. Nice to see you. Hang on to your applause. Bye, Bert. Bert Ross, everybody, American hero. All right. It's down to Kelly Stone and Professor Marianne Cummings and an old friend of the show. Let me unmute Nick. Hey, Nick. Hey. How's it going? Good. You're calling from West Hollywood. I'm not in West Hollywood anymore, but yeah, I'm in West L.A., but either way, it's... Okay. It's, yeah. How did you think the debate went tonight? Um, it was... Uh, I, I thought I thought it was awful. Um, I, I, I mean, I guess I, I should have... I didn't come in with good expectations, but even then I would think that even if Biden is going to tack to the right, it's still extremely frustrating to, for someone who works in healthcare to hear him make right wing arguments about uh, keeping private insurance. And uh, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to socialize medicine despite the fact that the VA is socialized medicine and that there's a difference between single payer and socialized medicine and the way that the private insurance industry is absolutely awful. And just to, I don't know, just see that, that 
crouching position constantly from the centrists because they're so compromised because they always just tack to the right. It's like what the Clintons have been doing for decades. And um, it's, it's just frustrating. It's like, this is, this is our, this is the opposition to a fascist. I mean, you know, there were, it was nice to see him say, Oh, shut up. That's great. But like, there were so many other opportunities to, you know, go after him on how horribly he handled COVID-19 in terms of going back to 2018, when they got rid of the uh, pandemic uh, team that Obama had established after the Ebola outbreak. And, you know, for him calling COVID-19 a hoax back in February while privately indicating how how uh, serious it was, but he wasn't going to do anything because he didn't want to cause panic to the stock market. Right. And you, you didn't need a recording of of uh, Bob Woodward to say that. I mean, there was intelligence reports back in March and April and May detailing that. And I, I, I guess it's, you know, I, I guess for me, I just get, I, I got really frustrated with it. Um, I don't know how to, how it will move. I mean, maybe some of my, some of my centrist coworkers will be happy with Biden's performance. Um, I mean, up until this point, I still felt like that Biden probably has a better chance of winning the election, even no matter how much crap that Trump and Bill Barr are going to try to do to steal it. Um, I mean, the, the poll numbers seem to be in much better shape for Biden, certainly than they were for Hillary Clinton back in 2016. Right, right. But it's uh, it's yeah, it's just I don't know is. As well, well I mean, when you're when people I'm getting a lot of emails from friends and saying it's depressing, it's disgusting. I get a sense that they're upset because it's Joe Biden, that the debate was beneath contempt. But I look at the debate. Of course, it's disgusting. They're both disgusting, but I I'm not disheartened by it because I don't think Trump acquitted himself tonight and I, you know I, I i'm i heard you saying that earlier and i was glad to hear that and i was glad to hear what rbk said and then i also listened to sam cedar's um post-mortem on the debate what did sam say and what did sam say well you know sam felt like that it wasn't i mean it wasn't great to hear he said it was like basically like you know, whatever we had to deal with or, you know, how much we had to, to put up with, it was still like, you know, he was trying to come off as an inoffensive candidate and he accomplished that. And Trump was more reactive in ways that, you know, could hurt him. But I, I guess for me, I get worried about people who are undecided at this point, <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be, because at this point, anybody who's undecided, I, I mean, I don't know what what to think of them. But like, I feel like if someone's undecided, they're going to be more influenced by someone who's going to come off like a strong man, even if they sound like a lunatic. No, they've already like, seen. Here, here's why I disagree with you. And we'll find out. Okay. Here's why I disagree with you. I am going to assume that Biden sat down with his idiot advisors and they said, 
you're fishing for the people who are on the fence with Trump. He's not. I know. You know, don't say, why isn't he going for the 100 million people who don't vote? Or why isn't he going for our the amorphous left? He was told he was told there are millions of people who voted for Trump and are now on the fence. Don't give them an excuse to feel that you're like Hillary and they'll gravitate to, to Trump. I think he threaded the needle tonight by not pushing potential Trump voters away. I think if you're on the fence when it comes to Trump and you were a Trump supporter, you know who Trump is and that bullying and that acting whatever i don't even want to say macho that worked for you four years ago it's not working for you now that's what i like to think because i want biden to win even though so i think i think biden did what he was supposed to do tonight he didn't push he did not push potential ex-Trump voters away. I guess okay. I feel oh. like it's about <laughs> um, the, the undecideds, right? Like, isn't it about, like, capturing new energy, like, and new voters? Like, if you're undecided between Trump and Biden and you voted for Trump before, are you going to show up? Like, are, are you, are you going to be a non-voter in this cycle? Um, if you voted for Trump and now you're undecided, uh, did I kick, did I make, no, I, I, I just had to pull people down back into the chat room. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I started talking and all of the men dropped off and now it's just me, Marianne and David. <laughs> the way it should be. Yeah. <laughs> the way it should be. Go ahead. I just like to me, like it's, it's not real. Like, I hate that we're in this forced dichotomy, but I believe that if you are a person that ever marked your name and thought it was a good idea to vote for Trump and currently you are undecided, I really think that's that you're undecided about showing up to vote. Not if you're going to show up and vote for Biden or Trump. Like, I don't know. Like, and, and courting this fucking bullshit like let's just like register more people to vote excite people give them a reason to want to vote like that's where we need to be like i i just i don't know i just think it's really gross i i i'm i'm sorry but it's we're like what a month away five weeks away our deadline here is October 5th. People and people are already voting right now. So right. this is, you know, it's time to. I made a promise to myself that I wouldn't. Give Biden a look until after Labor Day. I was so pissed off at Obama and Clyburn and Hillary and Biden and Kamala and everybody but Bernie. So I said after Labor Day, I will give Biden a second look and. You know, elections have consequences. There are a million excuses for why Bernie didn't get the nomination, but he didn't get the nomination. And he's he's endorsed Joe Biden. We can talk about 
the way the game should be played. And I agree with everything you're saying. But the game is played this way in the next five weeks. And I think Biden understands that if he wins, if he wins, he ran a great campaign. If he wins by, you know, first do no harm, stay in the basement, limit your exposure, do no harm. If he loses, then he's like Hillary. You know, he didn't get out there enough. But if he wins, he threaded the needle. So, uh, Kelly, I assume you're going to vote for or is it not my business? No, no, it's fine. No, no, no. I think we've talked about this on your show before, but, you know, every day is a new day. And who knows in the audience and all that stuff. But um, no, I'm going to vote for Biden um, because what choice do you Well, what do you think he's doing right if he wins? I've asked this question on the show before. If he wins, what did he do right? We know what he did wrong. We know that he gave up on the left. Did I tell you my little my hope my little hope? What, what is he doing right? If he wins, what you what will you point to and say this is what he did right? Now we're stuck with he him. Picked a woman as his running mate, and so and what he said, and he's old AF, and he said, "I need somebody who's ready to be president on day one, right?" And that's not me being like, "Oh my God, I'm losing my mind over Team Kamala now." But this is like in the forced dichotomy I'm being presented with. What he's done right is. If he dies or resigns, and when he said that, like, I need somebody who's ready to be president on day one, my hope of hopes is that he will, like, get inaugurated and be like, I'm using my male privilege right now to, that I carried us here, and now I'm resigning. Boom. He's not like, 100%, like, inauguration, turn it over to Kamala. Like, that's what I'm like. That's I, I'm no fan of Kamala, or how is it pronounced? Kamala. 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 Mark my words, you're going to find out stuff about her effing husband in the next three weeks about the kind of law he practiced. And the the, the hive is... But look it. at everything we know about Trump. Like, it's like, seriously, like, we're like, oh, my God, let's clutch our pearls over this. And I'm not minimizing, like, how evil and horrible everyone that's worked within the system to get to where they are are. Um, but, again, when we are posed with this. I agree. I agree. I agree. I'm still like, yo, Kamala, you know what he did right? He picked a woman. Okay. I Hang on for one second. I have a bone to pick with the Invisible Ninja. Now, you are an amazing artist, Invisible. We put you in charge of the Mo Evil campaign. You've been going after No Evil Foods. Your cartoon. What is the name of your cartoon series? It's uh, the People's Comic. The People's Comic. You are a great artist. I have a bone. I have a bone to pick with you. Please. Okay. I am honored that you offered to draw up the Feldman University, the FU insignia, the diploma. Okay. Then you drew a picture of me, and I looked like Rob Reiner's ugly brother. Have you seen yourself? Oh, yeah, hang on. <laughs> you, I mean, and I thought, you know, Invisible Ninja hates me. 
<laughs> I, I'm no, gonna no. I'm gonna put that picture up at office hours, and and I thought even if I do look that way. You should have made me look better. <laughs> I'll give you. A you, I, you didn't even. You know what? It wasn't like double chins. It was like a goiter. You gave me a goiter. Oh no! You made me look like I was some. All right. What, what's on your mind? I thought you looked beautiful. Oh, I think you whoa. hate me. I think you hate me. <laughs> Not at all. Um, well, no. I just wanted to give my feedback on on the debate um what you guys were talking about a second ago was was really what i was commenting more on um with the uh i guess the voters like who are going to be swayed by the debates like all decided like all of trump's base are decided but there's that 20 percent that that's not decided and when you really like think about them they're going to be the people who are working all the time they're busy they're just distracted and they think that their only role is okay i'm gonna go vote and put this person in charge so i can go to my daily life and go do my things and i think that tuning in this debate you know as opposed to the last one as, as the 2016 they saw like okay we're gonna try something new um now they've seen what that is and just watching this debate like seeing just the, I mean, I just try to like take myself out of like a leftist shoes and just watch it from just kind of like a different perspective. And, and I mean, Trump was just, he was just like a big man baby and it was just so obvious and the things he was doing was just not landing. So I think that Biden, I think that he just didn't fall and that was all that he had to do. You know, Trump just, he right. crushed himself on this one. So I, I just disagree with some of the things saying that Trump won. I mean, I just I really don't think he won with who ma- with who it matters, with who this debate is really for. Right. So. And these debates are theatrical. They're performative, but they may have no sway on the outcome. Do we know, Professor Marianne? I, well, I, we don't know about this, but, you know, what I can say, like earlier, that it was interesting to me that my my homie right wingers on Twitter, you know, thought they were really depressed. They didn't think that Trump did a good job. On the other hand, Katie and uh, and Matt Taibbi thought, oh, God, Biden lost this, you know. So it seems like all sides were very unhappy and they were projecting their worst fears about their candidates because in this case, my my homies over in, in Twitter who are Republicans are actually fairly thoughtful people. They're not, you know, the mouth breathing knuckle draggers. They're just very conservative. So, uh, but I think for most people who are not political and we're all political because we're here, um, it, it, it images everything. And as I mentioned earlier before, uh, I thought a lot, I agree with Kyle Kalinske, a lot of uh, Biden's support through the primary, even now, is default support. They remember the Biden from 10 or 12 years ago. And they remember him being with, with Obama. And what you saw, if that was basically what you know of Biden, is a much faded version of that guy that, you know, you thought, yeah, okay, he can be president. So I don't know what the effect of that's going to be. I mean, Biden looks old. He does not look strong. He And we're already talking that, you know, the cabinet's going to be everything. Biden's not going to be governing. It's going to be another regency, 
you know, a monarchy like like uh, Reagan or Bush too, okay. and those don't go well. We're gonna go, know, we'll so go. I, thank you. We're going to go to Dan in a second. We're getting word that Helen Reddy has passed away. She was a feminist icon. No. Yeah, Helen Reddy passed away. When? I guess tonight. I am woman. Hear me roar. She had dropped out of show business about 20 years ago and lived a very quiet life in Australia. What did Helen Reddy mean to you? I sang her song in high school. I'm woman. Kelly Stone? I'm younger. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not. I, I don't know. Like, I was going to try to Google real fast. Um, you don't know who Helen Reddy is? Yeah, I'm not Helen Reddy for this question. Or her <laughs> that... <laughs> Uh, the, the Republican Party is denying that Brad Parscale, the fired campaign manager who tried to commit suicide and allegedly threw some punches at his wife and is now being hospitalized. The RNC is denying that he stole 50 million dollars from the Trump campaign. So what? he was Trump's campaign manager before he was yeah. demoted. And I guess the allegations are that he stole $50 million from the campaign. And I keep saying this is what's going to do Trump in. He has surrounded himself with people who cannot help themselves. So that's. A snake surrounds himself with snakes. Although I did see that video, by the way, on Vic. And it's like at first I didn't even know who the guy was. I'm going, oh, Jesus, another horrific, you know, traumatized citizen police encounter because the police just like literally block tackled him and slammed him onto the cement. And I'm going, wow, that's a middle-aged guy. That guy probably got hurt. He also has 10, 10 guns. Well, I think I don't need, I didn't even notice that he had a gun. He was just outside looking disoriented and disheveled and, you know, just kind of like somebody who's needed to be in the care of mental health, uh, professionals it's the entire trump campaign it's the entire trump white house they all need to be in care in the care of (laughs) mental health official they they really do kellyanne conway i mean the chickens came home to roost with her daughter and she had to leave the white house these are sick people these are really sick people even Corey lewandowski didn't Corey lewandowski face charges in jupiter florida in 2016, he was one of the first campaign managers. He assaulted that female reporter from Breitbart. Right. Like every campaign. I'm sorry. He had a job with CNN for a year. Right. And and the who's the who's the the girl who went to Fox News and then came back and Trump has a crush on her. She was dating the, Isn't she his press secretary now? No, no, no. There, there was a, <laughs> there's, there's a, there's a woman who was like Ivanka Light, and Ivanka liked her working at the Trump White House because it gave her a break from her father pawing at her, 
And then she took a job at Fox News. And then now she has come back to the campaign. She was dating one of Trump's advisors who had to leave the White House because he had a history of domestic abuse. Dan. I feel hardened, Dave, that you just said that these are all these sick people and they deserve mental health care. I didn't say they deserve mental health care. Or they need 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 it. And I get like, I would love for them to have to live in the world that most of us live in where we can't afford the care that we need, but we also don't get all of these other things that helps buffer it to where we seem like we're more intelligent, important people. Um, Like, like putting them into the feudalist society with which they perpetuate with their mental health conditions and letting them exist um, and have to like struggle to like apply to get food stamps and do like, I think I feel like that. I don't, I don't want to say that's a prison sentence, but it sort of is for like most of our population is, is poverty. And that's, that's the care that I think they need really. Right. It was Hope Hicks, by the way, who, fell in love with one of the advisors inside the Oval Office who was accused of uh, assaulting a woman. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. You don't remember that. Dan, what's on your mind? Dan, you have to unmute yourself. Hey, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Where are you calling from? Uh, California. We are having the greatest storm right now in New York City. I live in an air shaft. I know. I wish I could send it to you. I live in an air shaft. If I can hear the wind and the rain, it's significant. Go ahead, Dan. What part of L.A. do you? Do you live in L.A.? No, Northern California, Bay Area. Ah, okay. I want to say Feldman. You were pretty sharp this week. Thank you. So, you know, I listen to you a lot. Sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, can I find <laughs> something else to do? But, <laughs> but this, no, serious. No, I mean, no, in all honesty, this week you were pretty sharp. Well, so anyway, um, I appreciate it. It's hard to do this. No, you did this. You had a good week. Keep it up. I think you're, but, uh, you know, it's, been, it's like being an athlete. You got a juice. Uh, no, it's. You know. I, I've been listening to you to, for probably like about a year, so I feel like I have some analysis of your performance, and you actually impressed me a couple times this week, where I was like, oh, "Okay, actually, there he is. He's sharp." Thank you. Anyway, no, enough kissing your ass. Um, How about Marianne Cummings, Professor Marianne? I'm, uh, every, I'm, honor, I'm honored to talk to all of you guys. Right, I think and, and Kelly Stone quite a bit. Are you going to go to Kelly. Kelly's party Friday night? Uh, no. <laughs> Tell everybody your big party that you have every oh. Friday night. 
So I um, I host Kelly Stone's Corona Comedy with Candidates Crap Show, uh, and it's a crap show, a crap show, uh, which I felt tonight when CNN on the air said that tonight's debate was a shit show. Like that's what they, they said. That they actually said that. Dana Dana said it, and she said <laughs> it was a shit show, and I was like, yes. So like, how do I like? I feel like I'm so like cutting edge like that I'm running this crap show and now we have this presidential debate that's been deemed by CNN a shit show um, and if you'd like to catch that it's at 8 o'clock on Zoom on Fridays that would so be 9pm Eastern yes now we should um, have we should do we should have a feud because I do my office hours at the same exact time so we no, should. I've never wanted to use my comedy show to feud with office hours more. But we should have some kind of challenge or something. Yeah, that would be awesome. This week, this week, Rock Bottom String Band is my musical guest, wow. along with uh, comedian Koo Egenti and uh, candidates Lisa uh, Pruitt and Stacey Williams, who's running for the Supreme Court of the state of Texas. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> I wish I could go. But I have to hang out with these people. <laughs> JJ. Can I give you JJ? Is JJ here? I want to give you a JJ. Is he here? Why don't we... Kelly, are you West Coast? I'm Central Standard Time. I'm in Texas. Oh, okay. JJ went to bed. Why don't we trade uh, people in the chat room for a night? That sounds like the Pornhub deal that was happening <laughs> earlier when I came on the show. Why don't do you have any stars of your chat room? Oh me? Yeah. Oh no, my my it's the crap show. It's not like organized like this. Like um like people talking throughout. Like they're mostly oh. just quiet. Actually, have you tried uh, fascism? I, I I employ fascism. Well, and with my show, it's like an intimate, it's like a comedy, like a, a comedy room. And so um, everyone is encouraged to be unmuted. And so there's not like panelists and attendees, like everyone is equal um, because I'm guided by my values. But um, but I also like I encourage the audience to be unmuted so the comedians can actually hear the laughter mm -hmm. because we really need that so desperately right now. <laughs> right. That's interesting. Yeah, it's really fun. I do um, a monologue into a hairbrush that's scrunchy with <laughs> a wet jet. To set, it sounds like a cacophony. It's a crap show. Do they heckle you? Who's they? <laughs> Your audience. No, I'm I've I've been hosting for a long time, so I regulate pretty well. I'm like, this is not the time. Um, because like and sometimes I've had where I'm interviewing the candidates and like somebody in the audience suddenly decides they need to give the candidate advice and I'm like oh I think you're confused about how the show's working right now and then we regulate and it's fine and I open the doors early like so you can mingle at the bar a little bit um, and then I have an after party so people understand like showtime is showtime and then we mix and mingle on the front and the back end I wonder if there's a way I think there is for me to love to go to your Zoom party with my Zoom people. I think I can 
convert my office hours into a camera and bring everybody to your park to crash your party. Well, I don't want my party crashed um, because I do have candidates on like Stacey Williams, who's running for Supreme Court of the state of Texas. Um, and I'm trying to like get shit done. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, well, that wouldn't be us. Yeah, we don't. That's not what we Somebody asked earlier about Julie Oliver, um, who's running against uh, Roger Williams. And uh, she's going to be on my show on October 9th. Um, so yeah, so there's lots of great, so it's an interesting hybrid of musical guests. We had a drag queen on a few weeks ago and comedy and candidates. It sounds like it's a lot of fun. There, there's, you do a lot of things that I don't approve of. Like there's drinking, I bet, and smoking and dancing. One right? of the last comedians a couple of weeks ago, he actually was, he was distracted. How we were talking about those distractions when you're doing your set. Because two um, partners on a couch were like smoking weed and like passing a pipe or a bong back and forth. And he was like, shout out to the people smoking weed right now. But what I thought was awesome was on the other side of his square, another woman was like folding her laundry. <laughs> all right so it's a crap show all right thank you kelly stone for doing this thank you professor marianne cummings professor marianne cummings besides being a physics professor is the commish she's the commish she's the parks commissioner a parks commissioner parks district commissioner and my park is as we speak being built down in the old Copley, abandoned Copley Hospital site. This whole thing has been full-blown Amy Poehler Parks and Recreation. It's just been a great kind of four years. And I'm running again. That's what I'm doing. When do you declare your candidacy? Uh, we have to get the signatures in like the first week of December. I mean, with your with all the other paperwork, you have to. I have to have at least fifty signatures. I'll probably get a hundred. And uh, it was earlier asked what the bench was. Around here, we've got a full progressive slate running in the early spring elections. We've got uh, John Lash, someone who was very well known to your friend Holly, Howie Klein. He ran uh, for Congress against Dennis Pastor years ago, and he. Uh, running for mayor of Aurora and we've got several uh, progressive people running for aldermen and that might come as a bit of a shock because a lot of the people who are aldermen are not used to serious competition in their races so uh, and that'll be very nice because John is running on a greens job platform he wants a vision of what cities look like if we really fully implement Green New Deal that uh, you know, the city of Aurora can't just be festy, fancy restaurants and boutiques downtown. It has to be manufacturing jobs brought back into the area. I'm very uh, excited about that because you know these guys seem to have thought this out a lot, uh, a lot more than I have. And uh, and the neat thing about these low level positions like park district commissioner or school board is that you can get a lot of stuff done. It's amazing how influential you are. I just even threatened to sit on the mayor's desk and I've got an appointment. You know, it's just like, it's awesome. You know, it's, it's, and nobody thinks of it. 
you know, because it's so low level. Uh-huh. But that's how we rebuild this country. And that's where the deep bench is going to come from. I have no problem after this, even running for U.S. senator. I mean, it's like, and I just dare the person to, like, you know, put down my time at the Park District with somehow insufficient, you know, um, experience. But anyway, yeah. I am, uh, I am worried about this country's lurch towards fascism. And I said on this show, and I've said to my kids, that if you look towards Latin America, it was the institutionalists who wore the fascists down. I think it would be an interesting conversation to have on the next show that Mm -hmm. the generals, I mean, it was people disappeared and it was terrible, but it was the people within the institutions who gummed up the works, not... And the mothers taking to the streets. The, the question, the the question is, how do we get people wanting to do this work? I think that's that's the biggest problem. What work? like you hear to do the work of going into small government, like Marianne has done. I think Marianne, maybe she, she can obviously answer for this. Is she uniquely in a position to do this at this time in her life? I notice, you know. You see a lot of very young people, like you'll see people that have like a choke way or you'll see someone that has very young that has just come out of school and like they're very aggressive getting into politics. And then from there, I'm not sure who's getting in. Like, I don't. Um, you guys could probably answer me. Kelly can answer. She knows more about this. What's well, the problem of our bench? Our bench is not it's deep, but it's not filled with. Older people. I don't think that the, I don't think the, you think that conservatives have a bigger bench? Like, I'm just saying, I don't know. I just, uh, I don't experience well, got a the, lot they of got the ultimate bench. They have the ultimate bench, the court. Well, you're right. All right. We're going to wrap it up. Kelly Stone, thank you. And okay. Professor Marianne Cummings and all the people who came to our Zoom room. If you would like to attend a live taping of this show, please go to davidfeldmanshow.com. Hit the attend a live taping menu. You'll get a link and you'll get invited to our recording sessions, which are every Monday and Thursday starting at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will have a recording session this Thursday. We're back on our regular schedule again. And then Friday night, it's office hours at 9 p.m. Eastern. That's where the listeners talk and I listen and we accomplish stuff. We get things done. Kelly, you should show up after your show. What time does your show end? But that's the thing. There's an after party and there's shenanigans and it's like... I stay drinking and getting locked out of my apartment and stuff. So like it just. You're 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 your people have so much fun. (laughs) I'm such a wet rag. Andy Brown. There's an after party on Discord that Andy Brown runs that I don't approve of. (laughs) (laughs) So. This was fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. And hopefully you'll come back on Monday. Right. Thank you so much. Uh, Friday night office. Thank you, Dan. Uh, Friday night 
office hours. And if you would like an invitation, go to DavidFeldmanShow.com, hit the Attend a Live taping. And then Saturday, COVID Town Squares number three. We're doing another town hall featuring the irritable immunologist and Henry Huckamaki, Huckamaki, and all the proceeds go towards Henry's research and education, and it'll be fun. They're writing the script now. They're going to be sketches and songs, and we'll take your questions and talk about COVID-19. I think I've covered everything. Oh, we have a YouTube channel, so please subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're live streaming this now on YouTube. Been pretty interesting. And those of you who are watching on YouTube, or if you're listening to this as a podcast, an audio podcast, again, we only take calls from the Zoom room. So if you would like to sit in the Zoom room with these animals, these subhuman primates who have ruined not just my show, but my life, go to com and hit attend a live taping and you can participate in the chat room and ask questions of our guests. I want to thank all our guests for showing up. This was a last minute thing and practically everybody showed up. I was shocked at uh, the turnout. I want to thank Zach Ford, press secretary for Alliance for Justice, the Reverend Barry W. Lynn, from Americans United for Separation of Church and State, Emmy and Peabody award-winning comedy writer Jim Earl, my old friend, comedy writer and gentleman farmer John Ross. I want to thank Professor Harvey J.K. Pick up one of his books, pick up FDR on Democracy, Professor Adnan Hussein, Chairman of the Religion Department over at Queen's University in Ontario, Canada, Mark Breslin, founder and president of Yuck Yucks, Alan Minsky, executive director of Progressive Democrats of America. Kelly Stone, sex educator, comic, and Texas politician. Professor Mary Ann Cummings, the commish. Thank you. Bert Ross, American hero. And Professor Mike Steinell for his fantastic music. I will see all of you Thursday at 2 a.m. Thank you, everybody, for showing up. It's time right now for the David Feldman Show to get your ears on right, buckle in real tight. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Buckle in real tight 
He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. He's got a lot to say and he's coming your way. Before I say goodbye, I have to thank the man who makes this possible, Dan Frankenberger. Thank you for all your help. You there? It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Are here. you in a bathrobe? Yeah. It's three in the morning. <laughs> I know. Thank I'm you for, for bed. I, I know. Thank you for your help in prepping this show. And thank you for all your help on our pay-per-views. It can't be done without you. We had a very successful pay-per-view event for Diabetic Fury. We raised money for them and the COVID Town Squares. And it cannot be done without Dan in the newsroom. Dan Frankenberger, thank you so much. We, we pulled this together at the last minute, and I, and I thank you for all your help. Thank you. Yeah, we were uh, we were joggling the schedule around, yeah. and uh, you asked a lot of people not expecting too much response, and everyone said yes. We're like, holy shit, great. how yeah. how are we going to squeeze all this in? <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. I'm going to say goodbye to everybody on YouTube and talk to everybody in the Zoom room. Thank you for watching us on YouTube. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're here every Monday and Thursday starting at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you, YouTube.